let's go. Drinks on Dusty, let's start the show. Drinks on Dusty, coming in hot, coming in to blow up the spot. Guess we picking what we be drinking. We don't know what Dusty is thinking. We are here to have a good time. See where the combo may just climb. Sit back, put your drinks up. Come on, y'all, fill up your cup. Drinks on Dusty, let's go. Come on, y'all, start the show. Oh no. Okay, everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Drinks on Dusty. I am your favorite drinking podcast host, the one and only Dusty. Um, and today we have a very big episode. This is a big episode for a few reasons, okay? I know I say that sometimes. This is the biggest one. So when I started this episode, this podcast, this stupid, ridiculous drinking podcast of roughly almost a little under three years ago, I made a list. And I did take a picture of the list. It's going to say that I edited it, but that's because I had to click on the damn thing to find it. And I made a list of like the fa- my, the people I want on first, right? So the number one n- list, number one name on that list was my guest that I have today. So I am probably the most nervous I've ever been. I have always looked up to this person. This person has been a mentor of mine since I moved to New York City. Before I moved to New York City, we've kept in touch ever since my senior year of college where he came to direct me in a show called South Pacific. He has been on Broadway. He is a talented director, a talented actor, a talented singer, a talented editor. He does he's, he does everything that is in the arts. This is Greg the Greg Roderick. Greg Roderick, welcome to the podcast, man. Just in time for the holidays. Just in time for the oh, holidays. Oh, oh. Finally, I'm Finally. here. I'm here. Yeah, when you told me uh, when you first starting it, we wanted to do this, and yeah. you know, what is it? Two years now? What year and a half? It's a little over two years. It's a little under. It's a little under three, but okay. about like probably I think two and a half. Do you cel- celebrate like anniversary podcast episodes? You're like, this is my 300th episode. Not yet because we don't have enough. The special one is this is because I'm so bad at getting episodes out. But so this my birthday one that's gonna be released before this one is was my thirtieth. Okay. So I stopped recording so I could make sure I hit thirty on that episode. Yeah. And then uh but I'm gonna have like a special one for the fifty one, I think. But then the birthday ones are the biggest annual ones. Okay. But when yeah, I get yeah. when I start cranking these out, I'm I'm gonna find some fun things to do. But yeah. this is special, man, because you're gonna be the first one in the new year. Oh yeah. And it's uh Starting it's a big one to start. So We've talked about it a long time. I knew that you were kind of leery about coming on and drinking and talking a little bit because you're a way more established person than I am. And you, <laughs> the fact that you were on here is, I'm just lucky that you're here. And I'm excited. I'm nervous. And I'm hoping that I don't disappoint you. But you I thank you for being on here, Greg. Absolutely. I'm thrilled to be here. You've come to the Drinks on Dusty show. Yep. I'm already drinking. You're already drinking. So just to get along with that, Greg, what are we drinking today? All right. So I have... My three, I have three drinks. One is I'm a wine person, red wine person, in no particular order. I'm a red wine person. Uh, I'm a uh, margaritas, big margarita person. Big margaritas. And then um, also a beer, beer person. But specifically, I'm an IPA guy. Um, I actually, when I was in high school, you know, everybody's drinking and you try. And back in, back in my day, um, <laughs> I, I, there was the big things to drink were like when you're in high school or mi- yeah, middle school, high school is like beer and wine coolers. Do you remember the wine coolers? The wine coolers, yes. Specifically, my mom loved wine coolers. Yes, back in the day, specifically, they were Bartles and James. Until I got specific, like very, very sick because they're super sweet. They're super, super sweet. So okay. it's like, you know, they're wine light, like white wine, wine but very light, super sweet. Um, 
So I uh, I drank those and the and beer, but the beer was gross because I grew up in Missouri and the main beer. Sorry, I'm not. I'm never going to end up doing a commercial for them, but I think Bush and Bud are. You hate Bush Light too? Oh, Greg Roger, it tastes like piss. Bush Bush Light is mother's milk. Oh, sorry, but no. <laughs> I but you know I out of a can is better, but back then it was like right out of like the kegs, like and it just okay. basically yeah, tasted okay. like. Okay, I gotcha. Um, and so I just, I thought, oh, I don't like beer. Um, and it really wasn't until I was out of college and the craft beer stuff started happening. The craft beer, yeah, you yeah. know, and um, like mini uh, microbreweries and all that stuff. Then okay. I was like, oh my God. And it also sounds a little bit cliche, but I think I really discovered beer for real that I liked it was when I was in Germany and I was doing a concert tour through Germany. Yeah, we were doing one-nighters and we'd pull in and every town in Germany has their own beer. Like, it's like, yeah, we make this, this is only here in this town. <laughs> and um, we we would, I drink it. It was so good. And so I, I started loving, like, going into different towns and trying the different beers. And so okay. I really fell in love with it. And then, so the, you like good, you like good tasting beer. I'm the basic, the basic Nebraska boy that will drink a bush light and be like, I'm good. But um, nothing wrong with no, being a basic wrong. boy. But you said, you said that um, we were picking the drink, you said a, a hoppy beer. Hoppy beer. Yeah, I like the IPAs. I so do. The I IPAs. like a nice hoppy beer. A lot of people don't. Um, I like a nice hoppy beer. Tonight we are drinking. Um, I said the ba- juicy. I told, the juicy I, the juice bomb. Juice, juice bomb. bomb. It's pretty good. I just took took my first sip of it. Yeah. It's, are it's you like, into hoppy beers like that? I'm really, honestly, I'm not. I don't. I don't pick favorites, Greg. No. Uh, I'll drink whatever, but <laughs> I like them. I'm now in a pilsner kick. I used to. Mem- I remember like IPAs were. Any of the IPs I had were too dark or like heavy to me. They have a bite to them. And but these ones like I like a little bit more of a lighter but nothing too much to it, but I really like this is good. I'm not picky at all. It tastes tastes fine to me. Guinness like I'm not a big Guinness guy. Guinness is okay. But that's not even an IPA. I don't even know what Guinness is. It's lagers. I, you know, lagers. I'm, that's I don't the think one. I'm a lager guy, really. No, me neither. Like that's lagers. the one thing I really don't care for. I'll yeah. have it, but usually if I do that, they're so dense that I just end yeah. up sipping it. Mm-hmm. Um, Pilsners are great for like summer, like a great like, day drink, day, day beer to have. Like you're out, you're on the boat or you're on the water and you're drinking a Pilsner. That's okay. Nice. All right. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're a fancier drinker than I am. But Juicy IPAs. We're drinking Juicy IPAs today. And then we juice also bomb. have Juice, juice bomb. bomb. Juice Bomb. And we have a Voodoo Ranger. Yeah. Um, they're really like, they're really good. So yeah. we're gonna be drinking with Greg Roderick, talking, and we're gonna go through this whole journey and our connection. So first, give me a little insight or of everyone that may not my listeners that may not know who who is Greg Roderick. Where are you from? What are you doing in New York City? Who are you? All right, small town Missouri boy. Grew up about an hour south of downtown St. Louis. Um, you know, my first gig ever gig. That's wrong. My first show I ever did was uh, I was like Tiny Tim in uh, Christmas Carol. I forgot that's that, kind of yeah. what got me my like got my theater bug. But then back then they didn't. It wasn't like high schools that do like four shows a year. Back then, I'm talking like it's the 1930s. Um, back in the 70s, <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> they did one one show a year. It was like the spring musical or yeah. spring play, and um, so I did it. And then um, I. I kind of, because I was Tiny Tim, I had to wait until high school to do another one. So it was like a long time from like third grade to to ninth grade before I did it again. Little did I know that just down the street, there was a community college that had like community actors and I could have been like doing it as a child. Mm -hmm. However, I think that saved me because 
I would have been doing that constantly, but instead I got to like play in the backyard and, and play with my Star Wars action figures and go swimming and hiking on the, in You're the big woods. Star Wars and, guy? Oh, huge. Were I was the original, Star- I'm the original Star Wars generation. Are you? Yeah. 1977. Oh, I was seven years old. I was born in 70. Seven years old. That is the prime age. And Star Wars, the original came out. Then what it was, uh, Empire Strikes Back came out in like 79 and then uh, Empire, wait, uh, Empire Strikes Back and then uh, Return of the Jedi. Do you know uh, that I've never seen any Star Wars? That is flabbergasted. That flabbergasted. Well, the, the only one I've seen was the one where they like revamped that, revamped it, The Force Awakens or whatever. The, the newer ones. The newer ones. The newer I saw that and I was sitting in it with Miles and I was going, where's Darth Vader? And he was like, he's not there. That's anymore. like, yeah, that's like watching, I don't know, what you would watch. I don't know what are your stories you watch, but like, <laughs> that'd be like... Um, <laughs> That'd be like going, reading in like the third, like the eighth chapter of a book and being like, what's yeah, yeah. going on? What's going on here? Yeah. Never never got into Star Wars. So you start finding your love for theater in the community theater. Like, yeah, yeah. So I, I did high school plays and about the time I was a sophomore, I discovered the community theater. I did that. Uh, then went to um, a junior college and got all of my basics out of the way and then transferred to university, was majoring in theater. Um graduated my first gig out of college was um have you ever heard of branson missouri yeah yeah so yeah, Brans- they used to travel through i remember do- seeing a show in <clears throat> grand island that brand like they would i don't know what the hell it was i don't know yeah. they had some traveling show that i remember doing that they, well so they're from th- for there those who did. may not know what branson is branson is sort of they just kind of it's like the the country music vegas of the midwest it's yes. very it's it's very kind of That's bible belty you know it's it's a strip of of shows lots of shows and lots of go-karts and uh, there's no gambling cuz it's the bible belt but you know it's like um there's lots of shows saying. and go-karts and water parks and that kind of yeah. thing it's it's a lot of fun it's kind of a mecca for entertainment and uh back in the there's always been country shows but then in the early 90s about the time i was graduating college um the big name country stars sort of discovered it and they were realized that they could rather than being on a bus 365 days a year they could build a theater and have people come to you mm-hmm. so they built theaters and would have you know do seven or eight shows a week they bust in all these people and it become this big it just blew up right about the yeah. time i was there um i worked for i got a my first gig out of college i was a backup singer dancer for mel tillis you may not know who he is he I was don't. a he was a country music legend he was known for so like you can look him I up. He was know. if you Google or YouTube uh, Mel Tillis, you'll see him. He was well known. He's a comedian, country singer. Mm-hmm. He's no. He had a a, a stutter that he would make he'd okay. make pronounced to tell jokes and things. Gotcha. It's a big thing. He was in the movie Every Which Way But Loose. I think uh, a lot of car chase Dumb. movies. There was a car big. I can't remember the name of it, but there was a big car chase movie back in the seventies that every celebrity was in, and he was one of them. He starred alongside of Monkey, I think. So it was the 70s. Oh, yeah? It was the there 70s, that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, anyway, so Mel's, Mel's a big deal. His his daughter is Pam Tillis, who's a currently a, a big country uh, music star. Okay. Um, and um, you know country music. I feel like you don't know I Pam. should. I feel, like I, I feel like I'm quite literally I will look the her up. worst she's, person. She's a, big, she's a pretty big deal. Um, anyway, so I worked for Mel for two and a half years. No, not for a year and a half. Um, basically, from the time I graduated, I thought I would just be there for a year, for till the end of the year. Year, making some money um you know it, back then branson was cheap 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 for the rent i could like one week oh i know pam tillis you know pam yeah yes okay yeah see that i'm really bad if i don't like constantly know the name and then i see a picture i'm like oh i know who that is i'm really bad with those names unless i like listen to them all the time yeah oh great pam tillis yeah. is incredible yeah. all right yeah so Sorry. um 
yeah. So back then, you know, rent in Branson was really cheap and like one week's pay would cover my rent. So then I could bank after that. I mean, it was oh amazing. My God. That's how it should be, by the way. It should um, be. And yes. uh, so my whole plan. You know, was, we're just now with, we're officially the most, most expensive, expensive city in the city. world. Screw so thanks that. for bringing me here. Yeah, screw that, right? Screw, thanks for bringing me here, I mean, Greg. come on. I, I, we were, <laughs> what, we were like behind San Francisco and Singapore, and now we're like back to number one. This makes me really sad. Thanks, COVID. Thank um, <laughs> and uh, so I was, uh, I was in Branson and just saving for New York. I knew I wanted to go to New York. And yep. then at the end of the first year, I thought I'm out. And then they increased our visibility. Like we each got solos and they like, increased our salary by like 200 a week. And I was like, uh, you know what? New York's going to be there when I'm 24. So I just oh. stayed another year. Yeah. So I moved to New York, uh, in February of 1993 before you were born. 90. Uh, no, I was born 92. So I was you technically, were, all right. I was right. December 23rd, 1992. So just so. when, you know, they were spanking your butt. Just when um, I popped out popping into out, the world. Think of young college graduated Greg moving to the city with his suitcases. And me just coming into the world. Yep. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, I moved here and this was back in the day. No cell phones, no internet. Yeah. I didn't know anybody in New York at the time. People that were graduating from college, uh, uh were going to Chicago or they were going to LA. Those were, were the two. Yeah. They, they were, were kind of, to. especially in the Midwest, they were kind of scared of New York for some reason. It just was like, Ooh, big bad. And I think a lot of people, and this still, it amazes me today that they still have this image of New York, the way it was in the 1970s and eighties yeah. when it was very dangerous. And there was spray paint on the, on the oh, cars. Yeah. You tell my, like, I tell my family, like I'm in New York, like you have a gun with you. Yeah. All the time. I know. That's how like, people no, think and, like hookers on the, like the 19, <laughs> like the, what did it, Urban cowboy is that what it is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like you know, hookers on the sidewalk. I'm walking here. You I'm know, walking people. here. Yeah, all that. I mean, no people. It's not like that. It's no, it's, it's not. more. It's the you know, it's the today show. There's some weird shit that happens. Yes, in New York in fact, City for sure. that's another. Facts. We can talk about that. But yes, New York is uh, backslid a little bit since COVID. We yeah, got yeah. we got some crime issues that we didn't have for sure five years ago. No, um, but yeah. So I moved here and I literally. I was like, how do I, there were some alumni that I, that were like 10 years older than me, but okay. not like immediates. And, um, so I literally call cold called people that were like friends of friends or cousins that lived here. And I literally was like, hi, I'm Greg Roderick. Um, I'm a friend of Marcy's and, um, sure. I know you're her cousin and I'm moving to New York and I don't know anybody. And could, <laughs> I, could I sleep on your floor for like two nights? I promise it won't be any longer than that. So you were just. That's so interesting. Like, so you're cold calling people just because you didn't have a place yet. No. So you're just cold calling people one, like how many days at a time to keep living here and everything. Yeah. I mean, I just, I had it lined up for about two weeks. I had two weeks worth of people to, I could stay with. Um, and so I got on a plane and this is back pre 9-11. So your folks could actually walk you to the gate. Oh, they you, could. There was no security back then. You could oh. literally walk to the gate. And walk on the plane and, you know, you'd hug your family and then they, you'd get on the plane. Um, and so I got on the plane and I was, you know, cried and it was like the big life change. And I was yeah. like, what am I doing? I had this pit, you know, pit of stomach stuff, you know, pain in my stomach. And, um, and then I got here and this really nice guy went out to, now you know how big of a deal this would be, actually went out to Newark and met me. Oh, Yeah. I mean, I, from Manhattan, who would someone do that? Invited, someone invited me to to New Jersey today. I was like, nah, I'm good. That's but too far. <laughs> to go out from Manhattan when there was no air train at the time, you had to go down to a Port Authority, take a nasty ass bus out to to Newark, get off, and wait for this kid you've never met before. 
until he got off the plane. That was kind of amazing. That is. And he's just going like he's not he's not like texting to see like hey oh I got five minutes to be there like oh, yeah he's there gotta, was no texting yeah like you just not, gotta go that's hope. some that's some nice people yeah, right really impre- incredible no yeah um, Dwayne Kirchner was his name Shout friend of Dwayne. a friend of my friend Lisa's okay um and he took me into Hell's Kitchen I slept for two nights on his floor he had a tiny little studio apartment in Hell's Kitchen Forty Sixth Street and back then and this is again how much has changed back then Hell, back then Hell's Kitchen was sketchy. Mm-hmm. Now it's like people, Hell's Kitchen's like... My favorite you know, bars in Hell's yeah, Kitchen. Yeah, <laughs> all the great bars are there, restaurants, yeah. It's like, and it's super expensive rent. But back then, mm-hmm. you know, they called it the dance belt because all the dancers would go there over there and live for cheap. Um, it's about... Hell's Kitchen is a, is a couple blocks west of Times Square. So, yeah. you know, um, that's where all the actors that wanted to live for cheap rent went. And then I moved in with a friend of... A cousin of mine, a friend's cousin on the Upper West Side... And she was a Wall Street person, and she would be gone from like 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. And I stayed with her for like two or three nights, and then she was like, listen, I don't even see you because we're on such opposite schedules. So she said, just stay here until you find a place, which was great because then I, mean, I stayed so like you a full week. constantly have to look. Because that first week, I was getting up. We'll talk about the biz back then, but yeah. I was getting up at like – I was out the door by 5 a.m. to you know, sit online for an audition, and I would audition all day long because there were lots of auditions back then. Um, until like three, I'd auditioned for like, were you like having three. jobs during this first couple of weeks? Like, no, I had saved up my money from saved enough so to I didn't like have do to like that. get so it. You didn't really deal. have to do that. No. Smart. Yeah. Um, I had saved up enough to be able to, which was my goal to just kind of yeah, get smart. here and not have to, excuse me, not to have to way better than the way money. I did it, but good job. <laughs> um, well, and you know, everybody has their journey, but I was doing auditions during the day. And then like say four o'clock, I would start, uh, looking for apartments during that day. Back in the day at the equity lounge, they would put, um, little post-it cards on the cork boards for people that looked for apartments because again no internet so, so you literally like looking for a roommate and you i, have to I hate it. that i have to like think of that that way and be like oh that's not like i had like i have eight apps i could go and look for yeah. think apartment. of all the information we get off of our phones yeah. and computers nowadays and imagine that did not exist you did that on a bulletin board you literally did it on the bulletin board <laughs> or a newspaper okay so they would post these apartments at the equity houses yeah yep. you would spend most of your time at just trying to find audition, I would assume, right, throughout the day, right? Yeah. So then they post that. You'd, you'd go down to the corner, you'd buy a backstage, because it was just a newspaper <clears throat> back then. Yeah. And, you know, you do the old-fashioned, you see it in the movies, you circle, circle things, like, back, you know, yeah. like one ads or whatever, they would do that Looking for audition for jobs, notices. Circle you'd circle the, the auditions you wanted to go to, so we'd yeah. circle the, And then um, in the Equity Lounge, they had these little... Uh, little uh, index cards that you get approved by the office you had to show it to them they'd do a little signature like a little I- initial thing on the top and they'd stick it on the corkboard and you have to go and you'd look for people that were looking for roommates yeah and so i did that that whole first two weeks i was doing that on the besides auditioning and le- sleeping on people's floors i was looking for apartments no one had a couch they just always had floors no no had... it was something there no there were couches and but... it was a, there was a couple floors but there was also yeah. no there cap. was couches as well yeah the yeah. lady that uh i stayed she, at for a long time she had a gotcha. couch and i never saw her because I was out by five. She didn't go to work till 10. She would get home by 10. And after being up at 5 a.m. and auditioning and looking for apartments, I was out, out by like done. 9 p.m. How, so how well did you know her? I did not know her at all. That's insane. She was a cousin of a friend of mine. So you found, did you, did you find that uh, the place, the apartment at the Bolton board of the equity house? Yeah. So I, I, uh, I, I roommate dated for like two weeks. I basically would 
get a person's name off. I'd go yep. meet the apartment. If it was somebody that I clicked with, we'd go out to lunch. You know, mm-hmm. we'd, we'd kind of get to know each other. Some worked out, some didn't. Some places I liked, some I didn't. And then this guy, um, David, I got his name off a board. And the minute he opened up the door, I just had a good vibe with him. And like we yep. went out and got Chinese food. And then like two days later, he said, yeah, I think this will work out. Um, I ended up working at my first show in New York. I end up working with his ex roommate, the one who moved out. Okay, so crazy that's weird, weird. Like, yeah, yes. weird synergy. Small, that's... yeah, small world stuff. No, there. for sure. And I was lucky. I, I actually got work. Um, I mean, I was auditioning my face off, mm-hmm. and yeah. you know, I was a nice, literally well, little well-rounded theater kid. Yeah. And um, I got my first gig. I moved in the last week of February '93. I was still 23. Um, and auditioned and I auditioned at the fame school back then, not fame for school. the fame, fame school, you know, fame. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, I started end of February. I booked my first job like the second week of April. So what is that? Like six weeks, maybe yeah, about there. six weeks. Your first gig, paint yep. gig in New York first city. First gig. I got, uh, I had gotten a non-paying gig in the city at uh, gallery players down in Brooklyn. That was my first, that was my yeah. first gig ever in the yeah. city too, is yeah, at gallery yeah. players. They're great. I mean, I yeah. eventually did a reading. And I got them. paid, for, I got paid like a small, th- like n- nothing major, but I got paid for it. I was like, this is cool. Yeah. Right. And I got that within the first week here. So that's really nice players. They've been that, they've been around that long. They've been around a long, yeah, time, a long time in Brooklyn because they're Brooklyn based theater. Yeah. They're all in Brooklyn. Yeah. Really nice so. people. Um, they did, they did offer me a job. Um, but it was free. It was a freebie. Yeah. And I just moved. I mean, I was just to the city. And I thought, yeah, you know, I I just moved here. I'm here to get work, paying work. Yeah. And I, I'm just at the beginning of my audition season. I don't want to commit to this gig. And then what if I get something great? And yeah. You know, that's not, that's it, work. It's a pay. balancing act that you have to do. All yeah. the, I mean, all the time, really. But So I, I turned it down. Um, it was, um, oh, the brother in Pippin. No, oh okay not right. not pippin and not the the, the, the i don't brother. know that well much oh, about pippin yeah. i'm not you're way more of a i can't think of his name person. it's not a it's not a big role but that doesn't but matter it was just a yeah. it was you know it was free and i was like eh. but um, you're turning down a role in your first no isn't that crazy because it, um, it is a little bit because like i think all me i was always taught like take the first role you get which is why gallery players like didn't pay me i think they only actually only paid me because i built something for the set there so I built tables and that's how I got money because I wasn't going to get money with my role. There it was so small and whatever, but, um, uh, but you're turning, you're like, you take any role you can for yeah. connection, networking, all that kind of stuff. And you're turning that down because you're like, I, I need to, I need to be making some money here. You know what? Even if it had been like six months down the road and I was just hanging out in the city and working, mm-hmm. I probably would have done it. Yeah, I, really? mean, I had just arrived and yeah. I thought, uh, you know, is that all there is? There's something out there. Um, and then out of nowhere, I got a call for uh, West Side Story at Gateway Playhouse. Yeah. And um, I went. It was my first gig. Of course, everybody in Missouri, I might as well have gotten Broadway. Yeah. I mean, just to move to New York and six weeks later, I've got a professional acting gig. They thought it was the most amazing thing. It It was the most amazing thing. But, you know, they really thought it was, I might, Broadway, Gateway, it was the same thing to them. It was just like the most amazing thing. And um, yeah, it was kind of the rest is, I mean, I'm not going to go into my whole career. Go into your entire 20 year career. (laughs) But that's my story of getting to New York. Yeah. So that's. So then you, like, I think if I said, you've been, you've lived in the city now for 20 plus years now. 29. Come 29, on. right? Is End of February will be 29 Okay, because I think that's what your website said, but I didn't know if it was updated. But I so, recently updated it. So you did? Okay, great, because yeah. I literally have your website pulled up and stuff. But, um, <laughs> so 29 years. 
So before we get into like us, our connection, like www.gregroderick.com. There it is. Plug that. It's a great website. You're, I remember you giving me, um, I don't even know where my website is, but um, you gave me great feedback on mine. But so fast forward to 29 years, like you've done some incredible things. Um, you've been on Broadway. You've created that dream. You've made that dream a reality. You've done so many different shows. You have so many facets, so many talents. So what are some of the major differences like from you coming here your first year to 29 years later now? Like what are some of those huge differences in the acting business, the theater business, or just in general, what you've seen? Because you've stayed here. You didn't like you've left for like gigs and everything, but this has always been your home base, right? Yeah. So you've been through all these crazy changes and things in New York City. What are some of those really major differences from back then to even right now? Wow. Um, that's a big question. I yeah. mean, that's as big as 29 years worth of, of <laughs> going into. Um, let's cover the city. The city's <laughs> obviously very different. The city yeah. in the ni- early 90s was coming out of the 70s and 80s. So yeah. there was still some grit to it. I mean, we had, uh, I remember when I, I moved here in March, or uh, late February, so it was still dark until, you know, we were coming past the solstice, but it was still getting dark by like 4.30, 5 o'clock-ish. And uh, back then, Ninth Avenue, believe it or not, was still a little sketch. Was it? And I would always think we didn't have laundry in our building, so I'd go down with like this Santa Claus bag of dirty cla- of la- dirty laundry around the corner. And there were literally times I was like, uh, "Should I go? It's after dark." See, that's because I've always been lucky enough to always have laundry in my building, and it's kind of crazy. Like some people that listen to this, like you don't have laundry in your building, like that's a New York, like not even a New York thing. That's a city thing, really. Yeah, because it was in Chicago too, but like. That's that's so sketchy to think that like you're afraid because I don't really have that fear. Well, no, now, I don't like, either now. Like, but now, but like then, back then, yeah. like you have that fear of it's late. Like this, some shit might go down. What is like? What were some scary shit that you would see or like? Um. Well, there was first of all the city was a lot dirtier. Yeah. I mean, it mostly just smelled like pee. Just pee. Everyone. Pee. Now it smells like pee and pot. Um, <laughs> actually, it doesn't smell as bad of pee. It just smells like pot. Because since the since the legalization, it's like everywhere. pot everywhere. Pot everywhere. The whole city smells like a skunk. Um, <laughs> and I like. Believe me, I've done pot, and I've you know you, I enjoy a taste. good pot once in a while. But like, uh, never really been my thing. I've done it. Done just not my thing. I don't anymore. It doesn't. It doesn't. I don't enjoy it like I used yeah. to. But in my twenties, I did. And. Um, but now I just, it stinks all the time. I'm like, yeah. I don't want to smell it 24 no, seven. Anyway, it. we got off track. Um, it was very dirty back then. Um, there we was, you didn't, um, you didn't normally go above a certain street because crime got really bad. Um, and then, uh, also, or to, you didn't go past ninth Avenue, 10th Avenue got really bad. You didn't want to really? go. Cause like my favorite bars on 10th right? Avenue, it's 10th like Avenue, totally 50th street comfortable now yeah it's literally yeah safe 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 so but back then you didn't go past ninth avenue 10th avenue and over to the river was bad insane 42nd street was still the old 42nd street so there were hookers and porn houses everywhere you know if you go watch urban cowboy you'll see all those hookers and porn houses 42nd street had all the triple x porn houses on it um (laughs) all the it still had hookers a lot of drugs you saw around there back then it was mostly probably heroin and coke it was pre-meth and pre so to, um, to pivot someone i mean so what keeps you here then for 29 like that because it seems like not a for especially where you're from from midwest and missouri yeah. and like that's where you like obviously what keeps you here is a dream so i mean maybe that's a simple answer but like how long and and within that 29 year time span of you being there how many times was it were you fighting of like i should just get out of here 
Almost never. Never uh, really? Not until uh, the late, mm, around the 2010s, I started questioning it. We can okay. get down to the Broadway stuff later. But yeah. as I was kind of coming out of my Broadway stuff, I started questioning, do I still want to do this? Mm-hmm. Or have I, I've grabbed the brass ring. Do I need to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Do I want to still live in New York? Yeah. Um, I was having some personal questions about where I'm at in my life and, mm-hmm. you know, single at the time. No, I'm not. But back then I was. And I was He's just taken, kind of, don't try to hook. Don't try. Don't yeah. Try I'm like, okay. do I need to make a change? Do I need to move somewhere mm-hmm. else? I was thinking yeah. about LA. I, I, I didn't know, you know, yeah. um, that's the only time I really questioned it until I'd say the last five years. Wow. Um, and then, you know, I, and that's more comes out of a stem of, you know, I'm happy and married and we dream about a little cottage upstate, you know, that kind of stuff. Oh, it's more of that yeah, versus yeah. the For city sure. has not been the easiest place to live in the last three or four years. No, between it has COVID and sometimes I wonder why. I'm, yeah, it's, yeah it's, it's crazy that it's been rough. Yeah, it has for sure. Um, but and then now it's you know, the expense, most expensive city in the world. So it's just um, another thing. I just think it's, I find it really interesting that you've never really questioned it too much in 29 years. And I've been here six years now. And I've had those, I recently more often, I'm like, I'm still here. Why am I here? Like, I have those kind of, I'm having those now. I think it's good for you to always ask that. Yeah. I I don't think that's a bad thing. Um, For for me, it was, yes, the dream. I think for me, the dream kept me also from so many years. I I was, A, very lucky that I worked a lot. Yeah. If I was- You've worked a shit ton. Yeah, like your resume, Greg, is insane. Like it's just like you got things. It's it's just so much stuff that you've been able to do here. Like you've you've. I know that this podcast is based on me just going blah 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 blah. So I apologize. I feel like all I've done is talk. I feel like you've barely said anything. No, because I like to listen. So like that's one one of the things that I hate about the world right now. There was actually a card that I was looking at, and it was what is something you think the world doesn't do enough of? And I'm like, they just don't listen. Like, cause I'm True. big on listening. So I want you to talk about you and me listening, get into that. So I'll be a better host. I'm sorry. I'll talk more, but um, no, I don't need you to talk. It's just, you let me, you like wind me up and I'll just talk. You I, wind I'm you. very easy to, I can talk. I know that's what you're so good at. There's sometimes like you, you can just, you say some really profound things all the time, but um, so you've with all those magical things that you've been able to do, did you have, a favorite other than the Broadway stuff, which is probably your number one, but you have, you conquer that dream. You have this, you, you grab that brass ring. You've found love. You've done this. Is there a time where you think that you're going to leave here? Um, I think it, yes, I, yeah. I do. I think for, at this point, it, it's going to more hinge on my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he is a, uh, he was a dancer for many years. Um, and then he, re- as all dancers do, they have to transition, whether they become a choreographer or a teacher or any, you know, other things. And he ended up transitioning into the wardrobe union. So he, yeah. he, uh, he was a dresser, is a dresser on Broadway, but he has moved up the chain. Now he's a wardrobe supervisor. Ooh, he's the big cool. boss behind backstage big boss regarding out. the, uh, the, uh, costumes and stuff. Yeah. Um, and he still needs to be here for that. Mm-hmm. So unless he reaches a day where he wants to retire, we will most likely stay here. There may come a day where we end up moving out of the city enough to where he can still commute in. Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, commute is a big deal for him. And I don't think he wants to get to where yeah. he has to take the Met- the Long Island Railroad in every day. Yeah, something you like want, that. You're going to um, make those decisions together yeah. as a family. And for me, I'm a film editor, as yeah. you know. That's kind of my main bread, of, bread and butter at this mm-hmm. time. I'm... Um, I'm growing more as a film producer, so I'm doing more producing, Incredible. which involves meetings and phone calls and all of that stuff. But a lot of it I could do out of the city. I don't yeah. have to be here for the most part when I'm not 
working from home these days and having lunch meetings for business, yeah. it's um, just I have an active social life. So yeah. like I meet friends for drinks, I meet friends for lunch, for dinner, um, and that I would miss. Yeah. You know, if we've always talked like, gosh, if we did move out of the city, it would just be us. We'd, we'd eventually make a community there, but, you know, it's starting over. You're starting over. You know, and to, we have all of our friends are still here and we have people over. Do and, you want to meet the new people? Yeah. You know, I don't like meeting new people. I, like, <laughs> I, I, like, I do like, I say that. I love meeting new people. It's literally my favorite thing to but do. But you and I are like, and you and I are like, then we really can talk to a rock. Like we can talk yeah. to anything, yeah, anybody. For sure. I'm anything. I'm very easy. Alan gets annoyed because my husband. Alan can get annoyed because I can literally go into a room and make small talk with anybody. He doesn't like that. No, he you know he's just jokingly. But he's like, but he's for like, sure ah. he's probably like, ah. it's like you can talk to anybody. I'm like, <laughs> yes, I can. <laughs> you can. I think that's such a huge talent. But that's probably you know that goes to um, how successful you are. But I guess to quickly, I guess I don't know, wrap up the but like to the changes in the city. I remember you. What are the biggest changes that you noticed just with auditions and like that whole process? Yeah, that's a big deal. Um, when I moved to the city, um, it was easier for non-union people to get into union auditions. Yep. I'm not going to get into it's really boring. I'm not going to get into how that was the case. But no, yeah. when I first moved to the city, there was a, a time where the um, membership was down and they were allowing non-union members to get into a, a union auditions. Yeah. And uh, so I was able to get into the union auditions. Now, a lot of non-equity people have to just sit for hours and the whole day out in the hallway and wait and hope that they'll see extra people. And sometimes they sit all day and they're like, sorry, we're not going to see people today. And then they've made no money that day. No money. And they've sat all day. That's horrible. horrible. I don't know if, honestly, Dustin, I don't know if I would have stayed in the business if that was the case that it you was back so? then. Yeah, it's horrible. Horrible. I think that's what I think what we find like now with like new people coming into the city or like friends in my age when we moved to the city, it's it's so much harder. And that was something that wasn't really taught. I guess not too much. I didn't know that much about it when I came here, but it was a huge different thing because I even remember you calling me when I had moved here and then you were back at Wesleyan um, talking about like how does the audition process work there a little bit more because like you have an agent like you're you're like. For a newcomer coming in, like yeah. you know how the additions work, but like for a newcomer coming into the city just trying to get seen, how's it working? It's changed so much. I'm like, yeah, dude, friends stand in line for eight, 10 hours. I'm like, I've done it a few times. I'm like, that's not who I am. No. I can't sit there and not make money that day. It's depressing. It is. Like, yeah. it's, it is. It's tough. And I, I can, I don't, that's probably why I have not done it as much. But my whole thing has always been networking. You just said we could talk to a rock. I can, I've, anything I've ever gotten in the city was because of meeting people throughout and then that avenue getting me to that role. And yeah. I've said that numerous times on the show, but I, I don't know if that's, it's, that's always been my major success. When anyone asks me any sort of thing here, moving here, I'm like, that's, I mean, I put all my eggs in the networking basket because yeah, it really is. I ain't sitting in line for say, no. eight you hours. Know, honestly, networking's always been a thing. It's for always sure. a huge factor. Yeah. I mean, more than almost number one networking. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's getting in the door is also the battle. Yeah. Just to even freaking get in the door. And that was that was easier to do back when I was there. I mean, yeah. and also there were so many more auditions. When I moved to the city, I could hit four auditions a day. 
Really? Yeah. I'd walk in, I'd get seen because I could get into equity auditions. And then I'd go at noon and I'd get into another one. I'd get into another one by like three o'clock. And then if I was lucky, there might be like a 6 p.m. audition I could go to. And I no, could go all day long. Some people they spend all day long to get to one for yeah, one I know, I know. minute section. And on top of that, the big thing that has changed is the actual business itself. The economics of the business has changed huge because when I moved to New York, the, the adage was you have to live in New York to work out of New York. You had to... You had to um, move to New York because every theater in the country was hiring out of New York. Every theater. So yeah. they'd move, they'd fly to New York, they'd have their audition, you'd audition for them, you'd ha- you know, audition for the Dutch Apple Dinner Theater in Michigan or whatever. Yeah. And they'd hire they'd hire 98% of their cast out of New York. They'd hire their leads, they'd hire their ensemble, and then they'd be like, you know, the one-liner per, the, the, the clerk at the desk. They'd yeah. hire like the local high school kid that mm-hmm. wanted, you know, an opportunity. And then, you know, I'm going to go through all the phases. 9-11 happened. 9-11 <laughs> happened. So 2001 happened. I just laughed at 9-11 when you said that. And Jesus it was, it, no, you were laughing at, was, you know, yeah, yeah, no, I was not, like, we weren't laughing. Right he time, wasn't doesn't. laughing at yeah, 9-11, Yeah, say that folks. right now. He was for not. Everybody. Don't cancel Dustin. He wasn't laughing. At I, 9/11. Jesus um, <laughs> I hate that I think that way we'll probably get into that but anyway, oh yeah, yeah. well yeah um, anyway so uh, 9/11 happened and that hit that was the first big bump to the industry yeah and it, it caused the, you know everybody had a bit of a financial issue and the people were afraid and the the theaters started hiring they shaved off a little bit so instead of 95 people 95 percent they started hiring maybe like 80 percent out of the city Mm -hmm. they'd start filling in some gaps here and there but they still hired mostly out of the city and then a few years down the road the 2008 um uh crash the recession the big great recession happened now i was on broadway at that point yeah and I really wasn't aware of what was happening. I mean, I was like living the high, high, high life. Yeah. I was making a great salary. I wasn't thinking about the regionals. But what happened was that really hit the theaters hard. Mm-hmm. And what they started doing was they started hiring maybe 60% or, or you know, they really started tightening their belts. So uh, gradually what's happened over the, since 9-11 is there's been a series of, hit, of financial hits that the country has taken, yeah. which has caused the uh, theaters to... Um, tighten and tighten and tighten and tighten their belts. And on top of that, what's happening is more and more people are choosing to be bigger fish in smaller ponds. And they're, and they're allowing themselves to have an actual life in a great apartment in, in Raleigh and have a great life in Raleigh. And then they are, they work in all the, the equity, the the union theaters Mm -hmm. or St. Louis, you know, they work in St. Louis and they can work at the rep. They can work at the Muni. They can work at the stage. They're still able to constantly be in the creative sense that they want to do. And maybe not on the, the, you know, they're not on the scale of everyone's like, well, if you're not on Broadway, you're not doing this. But because they're locals, they're, they're constantly working Yeah, and they get, they get the local audiences in because they're like, oh yeah, we know Kevin. He's he's in all of our shows. Yeah. We love Kevin. He's a local yep. boy. Um, and they've just, because that's happened, more and more cities, Pittsburgh, Atlanta, Seattle, uh, Mich- uh, Minnesota, St. Louis, they're all growing their local talent base yeah. to where now people who are as good as people that are on Broadway are yeah. choosing to stay in their, in their own home cities or another city that they can have a great lifestyle with. And um, what's happening then is these regional theaters are hiring less and less and less out of New York. So it's almost the opposite of when I moved to New York, where you have to live in New York to work out of New York. It's almost the opposite, basically. And I don't want to discourage anybody who's thinking about moving to New York, no. but 
it feels like, and I could be wrong about this, but it feels like mostly they hire the lead leads, like the the leading lady and the leading man out of New York to get their New York cred. Mm -hmm. And then they hire like the male dancers because they can't get male dancers in Indianapolis. True. You know, um, that's not, I'm broad brushing folks. That but, is not necessarily no, this case. You know, there are regional theaters. But that bring it's not, a lot it's not the people. same as who are like, it used it to be, not, you need to be not. in New York to be able to like, you have to be in New York to get these whatever things. And now you don't necessarily no. need to be. No, no. Do you think you that's don't. really hurting the business? Or no, like, I think it's just an evolution. Yeah. Um, it sucks for the actors. It, it sucks that for the are, actors that who, are living in New yes, York. That it are sucks paying, for the actors that live the in the most expensive yes, city in yes, the world yes. and having to do that. Um, but, you know, I would encourage young actors to try to build a life in regional theaters. My God, I would have never said that. Even when I was guest teaching at Nebraska Wesleyan, where you went yeah. to school, yeah. I would have never suggested that. At the time, yeah. I would even... So how long ago was that? That was, that was seven? Seven years ago. If I've lived here six years, seven, yeah, seven. So seven years ago, it was that. Or probably seven or eight, seven or eight, because I lived in Chicago for almost a year. Right. Sorry. So it has changed that much in eight years. Yeah. Eight years ago, I would have still said, come to New York. This is where you get all your work. I still think you have the, like, I still think there's a thing in New York where, like, there's only certain things you can get here. There's only going to always be that certain, those major things. There's nothing like New York. There's nothing like it. But it's way more that you can live in a different city and still get these other opportunities that were way different where you had to be here to do that. So. Absolutely. And the other thing I will say, and I said this to your fellow, you, I mean, you told that to me when I moved here, like, I mean, we'll get into us, but like you told that when we moved, like you gotta be you, being in New York is where it's all going to go through. So yeah, why not just be yeah. here? So. And I, I also, I said this to you and the, your alumni when I was there, both years that I was there and you weren't there for the second one. Yeah. Uh, just moving to New York, I would highly recommend in the sense that it's, there's nothing like it. No. It will change There's you. Nothing. It will change you forever in a good way. Yeah, it will. You, uh, the, the phrase, if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere, doesn't just apply to show business. It no. literally is. You, If you can survive in New York, you can live anywhere. anywhere. Everywhere else is easier. It, well, for sure. It's a thousand percent easier. Anytime you visit anywhere else, you're like, oh, this is this is a little bit more simple. Yeah. Simple or whatever it Simpler. is. Like, and my God, in, let's not even talk about our restaurant, the 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 eating out bills. Oh, Jesus. You eat out and you're like, what? It's only $30? <laughs> I got this, everybody. That's me <laughs> that when I go cheap. back home. Every yeah. time I go home, like, I got it, everybody. This yeah. round's on me. This is fine. You go to happy hour and it's a $2 beer and you're like, what? <laughs> yeah. oh, happy hour here is like, folks, it's like $6. Ooh, it's a $6 beer. That's cheap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's insane. Yeah. Yeah, they go out all the time. Makes no fucking sense. Quit going out, Dustin. It's all about connection. I like to talk and learn about who this person is thinking in that moment. And speaking of connection, us. Yes. So we're who you are to me. So I'll start this with, so Greg came in when I was my senior year of college. So I'm about to be done and had to figure out a little bit more about my life, right? So then there's this whole thing about uh, Greg had been on Broadway and was going to be, so Greg was a Broadway actor that was coming on to direct the show called South Pacific, which was the show that he was on Broadway for at the Lincoln Center. And I was not a musical person. That year, I had auditioned for In the Heights or whatever, and I get into this probably the episode before about my grandma and all that stuff, right? But I'm not a musical person. And then, but it was just, it was a big deal that you were coming to direct this show. And I remember being like, well, there's no shot these dudes are even going to think about me to do this because I'm not a singer. I'm not a musical person. That's not who I am. But I remember auditioning 
And then I don't, I know we've talked about this back then. I don't know if you're part of the casting process. Were you? At no, all, not for I'm pretty sure that, I, So for I was a part of the pro, uh, process for Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yes, but for mine, they yeah. threw me into the show and said, "Hey, Broadway guy, deal with this dude." It's how I always looked at it. But I remember just being so nervous, and I was like, "Okay, I'm not, I'm not a musical person, but these two people from Broadway are coming here." And I was, I was always just so nervous. And I don't know how nervous you under, if you knew how nervous I was, and I think everybody in our college was. But you had came in and directed that show, and you ended up being a mentor to so many people. You've been my mentor for however many years now in getting me to move here. But our first initial meeting, I'm trying to like to make this make sense. But so you had came to direct that show, and then from then on, we've kind of always had a close connection. Yep. And I don't know. I know a couple things of how it started, but I want to know your experience. Um, on meeting me or our connection, how it started or anything. Well, you know, the first time we met yeah. was we were, I guess, probably Jack picked, well, we have to talk about Jack, yeah. um, but Jack picked us up at the airport, dumped us off at the place we were staying. Yeah. And then he was like, so one of our students, Dustin, is going to come by and pick us up at, uh, pick you up and take you to the grocery store. And that's what happened. You pulled up in this truck. No, not truck. I, so I remember being asked to go pick you up. And I was driving a fucking Oldsmobile. And it wasn't a truck. It feels like it was a truck. See, I don't remember picking you up from the air. I remember no, you didn't pick me you. up at the airport. I remember taking Jack? you from the re- the rehearsal there. Maybe picked, maybe that's happened. We had rehearsal first, and then we went to because, Jack picked us up at the airport. Yes, because I remember driving you from the rehearsal because I remember being at this rehearsal and being so nervous of meeting you all. Okay, okay. And then probably Jack it. came up to me and said, "Jack was one of our directors and professors in college, both of ours." He yeah. was your professor yeah. in what school? Well, we'll talk about Jack, but yeah, I'll come but, back to that because I do want to talk about Jack. Yeah. So yeah. Um, he came up to me. He's like, hey, Dustin, come here. I was like, yeah. He's like, you're going to, I need you to take them, take them to their, the place they're staying. I was like, me? You want me to drive them? And I was driving this Oldsmobile car or this car at the time where it was having a problem starting. I do remember and that. And I was deathly afraid of one, the car. <laughs> so it was literally like, so this car that I was driving at this time. I would start, and it was, yay, I could drive where I need to go to. But the moment I have to stop and then take it off, there's a chance it doesn't start up again. So I was just like, okay. So I remember leaving the space to go start my car and make sure it started and then keeping it started and then coming back to get you to whatever. I was nervous as shit. And then, so it's not like a good car. And I was like, you sure you want me to me do it, Jack? It's like, yeah, so then I meet you all, and I'm nervous. I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm Dustin. I'm playing, um, <laughs> fuck, I forgot the role Billis. I played. Billis, Billis, right? Yeah. 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 Um, and then, so I remember taking us to the car, and then driving, and then I go, do you guys need me to go anywhere? And then Alan, your husband, <laughs> said, can you go get us some wine? Yep. So then <laughs> I was panicking in my head, because I was so afraid that I was going to drive, have to turn the car off, and it not start back up to take you back to your spot. But I was trying to play it cool in that moment. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go. We'll, we'll go, we'll go. So I drive there and I'm like texting my friends. I'm like, I'm, dro- I'm taking them to go get some alcohol. I'm so I'm the coolest person in this entire class. <laughs> and but then I turned it off and like in the back of my mind was sweating, hoping that my car started back up. And then we went and got the drinks. Car starts back up. I take you back. But that's like the first time that we had ever met. And I just was. It was just a, it was a it's just a weird fucking story, but like I was just so nerve wracking being around you two because I I thought so highly of you 
Because I'm like, you've already conquered this mecha dream that everybody in this Nebraska school is hoping to maybe possibly do. And never feeling like I was like, I don't know why I'm in this musical at all. And then having some sort of a lead in it. Luckily, my so role was so good, though. A, I mean, it yeah. was perfect for you. But le- luckily, that role was not some like major singer or anything. Uh, no, it's not. But it's, I mean, but it it helped me get to know you, and then it was such a wonderful experience in getting to have that meeting with you and all these wonderful things that you taught me. There's only like four people in that cast that, in that show that actually have to sing. It's like yeah. uh, it's like Emil, Nelly, uh, <laughs> Bloody Mary, and Lieutenant Cable. And After that, you don't have to sing. Yeah. Nobody all else has I, to all, sing. Yeah, we just like it's ch- chanting and it's a bunch of male semen going yeah, around. Yeah, there's nothing like a day. You don't have to be able to sing. <laughs> no, you, you know? don't. <laughs> but you were such a great director, and I remember th- it was just such an incredible experience. And I know me and myself and like a lot of my um, the graduates in that class, like just learned so much from you. But like, what was that kind of experience like, like coming to direct a bunch of college dipshits well, <laughs> from a things- show that you had mastered on Lincoln Center with Danny Burstein playing Luther, Luther Billis and everything? Two, two things I'm going to say about that. One is it was so fun because so fun to uh to put on stage a show I had lived with for almost three years, mm-hmm. two and a half years. Um, the Lincoln Center. You know, and to, to and I was able to do a fairly decent facsimile of what we did on Broadway. I have to say that. I mean, we did a really we didn't have the plane on Broadway. We no. had a plane. Yeah, um, we didn't have the plane, but you know, we were able to facsimile the set and the pretty much everything. You know, and I did credit Bart Share, inspired by Bart Share's production on mm-hmm. the in the uh, production because I mean he was a genius director, Bartlett Share. Um, and he really created what that was. And so I wanted to honor him. Um, but uh, it was just so great to revisit it on the other side of the table. It was really exciting to sort of be, because I knew so much, having lived with it for two and a half years, yeah. to just reset you knew, it. You knew all these little these little moments that you would take us in to talk about what the military was like back then. And like all these things that you knew about the show was, it was the most in, in depth uh, learning of a show that I've ever done. And then no, yeah, just college, but like, that's all I knew at that time. Yeah. But I was, that's what actor work is. And I learned a lot more about actor work from you, from how you told us these little intricacies about each character and what it was like during that time. And it was just such a special moment, but yeah. You know, I wish every show, and I want to come back to the second thing about uh, that show, but for me, but um, at Wesleyan, but um, I wish every show had a dramaturg, dramaturg, yeah. um, because South Pacific had one. I think most Broadway, a lot of Broadway shows do, but, yeah. you know, to have somebody who is on staff, who does all the research and does all the digging into why people are what they are, why they reacted the way they are, what they lived, what what it was like living in the 1940s, yeah. what it was like living on a Pacific Island in the 1940s where you could not talk to your loved ones except for a letter that took over a month to get to them like these people in world war ii did not see their loved ones for three to four years imagine not being able to see them or talk to them except through a letter i'm sorry i'm going down a rabbit hole of that but like all of that um dramaturgy is so exciting and makes and that's makes the the show the piece yeah yeah, it makes the the and I had those I had the ensemble members living a full life that you don't normally do you know and yes there are shows like and I'm I'm not I love 42nd Street but you know there's shows like 42nd Street where all you got your job is to get up there and tappy happy tappy tap tap and that's all you got to do but if you're doing a a musical that or a play that has a really depth of history or characters that are fully fleshed out Mm -hmm. 
to be able to walk on stage with that history is really, really exciting, not yeah. just for the actor, but for the audience. I mean, yeah. that's what with South Pacific, particularly this Lincoln Center production, and then the production I tried to do with you all that, um, that I did do with you all is, um, just bringing to life the depth of these characters and the yeah. depth of the life. And it really sucks the audience into 1940s South Pacific. Yeah. You know, and, and, and I remember specifically just listening to that show. Cause like I just came off doing like in the Heights and that was my, I was like, Oh, this is fun. Cool. And I remember listening to the music of, in, of South Pacific and be like, that's not my thing. Right. But then how you did the directed the show was like, this is one of my, it's one of my favorite musicals now because yeah. I know so much about it. Yeah. And how powerful and emotional that that show really is. Yeah, if you yeah, go it really in depth is. with the in depth of what it what it's about. So many people's idea of South Pacific was what they've seen in some like awful high school production, <laughs> you know. And yeah. once, and this is really due to the genius of Bartlett Share and the the rewrites they did they did with that show that the the Rogers and Hammerstein estate allowed yeah. to happen. Um, because Rogers and Hammerstein estates very protective, understandably, of their pieces, of their work, of yep. the you know, of the estate. So they allow for anyone that doesn't know, Roger Hammerstein are legendary um, writer, com uh, composer, yeah. lyricist of of yeah, yeah. and they um, they South Pacific, the original one from the nineteen forty nine, I think, is when it was written nineteen forty nine, nineteen fifty, okay. somewhere in there. Um, there are some cheesy jokes in there. I mean, yeah. it was of its time. Yeah. And a lot of people know that production. They've seen, if you watch that night, the uh, movie, which some people love the movie, I find it a bit cheesy. I don't think I've ever saw, I don't think I ever saw the movie. It's a bit, for me, for it's you, a bit yeah. dull. It's a bit. And I think if you, I, I, I follow you though, I'm like, yeah, yeah I probably like it. It's a, it's a bit dull for me. And it, there are some cheesy jokes in there and it's a very, some of it's great. Some of the, 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 the meaty stuff is still meaty, Yeah. but then there's all this cheesy stuff. And, um, there was a lot of like kind of sailory, like nyak, nyak jokes in there that were stupid to the, today's ears and, uh, and yeah. audiences. And, um, what Bartlett share did, Bart share did is, um, shave away all that stuff and mm -hmm. just really get to the the actual um fleshed out the, that these are real people in a real environment in world war ii on the island in 1949 19 what 1943 i think is when the peace takes place yeah yeah the uh, yeah 40 Wait. now yeah 41 was when yes pearl harbor happened in 41 you so you're like, way better i'm not i can't even help you there greg I'm not gonna be able to help you on those dates at <laughs> so all it's like it's like 43 1943 ish mm -hmm. you know yeah. and, and we we really dig into what it was like and i feel like what was so brilliant about the lincoln center production is it just sucks the audience into that mm -hmm. it, you suddenly find your i've i've rarely seen a piece of theater that literally moved the, the transported the audience into that time period the wow. way that that show did partly it's the way lincoln center is also built it's in the it's in the three three quarters so it's a thrust stage so everybody's surrounding the stage and then that that score and the way that the show it just kind of brings everybody in and and um you just sort of there suddenly you find yeah. yourself sitting in 1943 yeah. and it was just so exciting, such exciting theater. Yeah. Um, and, um, I tried to bring some of that to Nebraska and I think I did. I, no, mean, I, I think you I did. It was, it was fucking gorgeous. It was, it was, it was such a powerful thing for that to be. I remember that being my last like basic show there in my, in my college career or whatever. And it was just, it was so powerful. I remember the, the hill that we had. Yeah. That you the created, sand dunes. The sand dunes. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And it was it was phenomenal, and it was just so much, 
so much passion into that show and you brought so much of that into that and it was just a blessing and honor to have learned from someone like you that had done that in such a high level yeah, so it was you. incredible what was what was the other like favorite thing about oh well the, the other thing i was going to say is um uh, gosh the work ethic of of you all the nebraska the westland students work ethics are just through the roof so like what a pleasure to work with people who are so passionate about work and the fact that they work so hard. I mean, you all, I know you do like 9,000 shows a year, yeah. or you used to. I don't think that's to, the case uh, anymore. It's, but not, it's not the case anymore. No, yeah. but I think back then you guys were doing like- We I, were doing I, at least 12, 13 main stage shows, uh, plus like over 90, like there was constant shows you were a part of. I mean, like, crap. I couldn't, we'd finish, we'd wrap rehearsal at 10 o'clock. We're like, okay, good night, y'all. Like, oh no, we've got another rehearsal. I'm like, what? <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night. Go home. <laughs> Go home and get some rest. I mean, yeah. I just was flabbergasted at how hard you worked. We didn't do that in our, in my college. Okay, really? so we have to get back to Jack Parkhurst. Yes. Because speaking of college and Jack yes. Parkhurst. So, you you talk about Jack and then Jack, I'll, so I'll I I mean Jack is um I remember I will say this I remember not liking him for the first couple I I felt like I was always this I, I, I he didn't really know me and it was this weird thing and I remember when he took me a little bit more under his wing his passion for he was probably the most passionate person about theater and acting that I've ever really met agreed and how passionate and what I learned and what I know now. And I didn't understand it as much in college, like, you know, putting it on just because it's a show, mm -hmm. you know, putting it on for, oh, I bet you'll put it on for when the opening night comes because that'll be your big day. But like how we should be putting it on for everything that we're doing. And that's what acting is. Mm -hmm. And his passion for acting is something I always I've kept with me a little bit. And I didn't appreciate it as much as I do now. And now I understand about to be 30 years old, like understanding why he was doing things the way he did and how passionate he was about just this art form mm -hmm. and his frustration with certain things was because like you guys don't understand the professionalism of what should be for acting. And it took me a while to really understand that yeah. honestly. And he was, I want his, the way that he could um, create pictures and shows was phenomenal, but he ended up being like, I remember he, he pulled me aside once. One of my weird stories about him is he, he pulled me aside and he's like, you're not one of these people that everyone like things get paid for, for everything. Like you're having to pay for this by yourself. Like you have to have a job throughout this college career while we're acting, asking you to do all these shows. And I remember him just like, he would have me do things to like give me money so I could work and keep being able to support. And like, I, that was such a big thing to me. Cause like, I felt like he trusted me or whatever, but he was just a really powerful and, passionate passionate man i think that's yeah. the word i would use yeah. to describe him yeah but um I, we're talking about him in past tense but he actually no, is no, still he's, he's, not, oh, he's with us still sorry greg and joan i'm so sorry <laughs> jack's not oh god sorry greg we love jack we love you jack if you're listening you, jack. yeah i know that he has listened but he was just such a i think he does actually listen to uh, some of my episodes he? and he yeah that's what i was ah, told so you'll have to send him this one i hope yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, i'll send him this one directly but he is I don't, I, I, that's what I know. That's, that's my biggest thing about him is I, I don't think I understood it as much as I did when I be, did the professional theater scene Yeah, and his passion for the, just the art. It makes, makes more sense to me in that he just, how he would bring things to life in certain ways were just phenomenal. And I learned so much from him frustrating sometimes to me, Oh, well. but 
like we 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 had those back and forth moments, but then it was always like, no, we're good. Yeah. Like he, I just I understood I understood I understand him a lot more now than I did back then, and I I wish I I would love to like sit and talk to him and things and learn more about him. But he was just he was he was phenomenal. Yeah. What about you with Jack Parker? He's the best. I mean, uh, uh, yes. Okay. So my story with Jack is. Um, I trans so I was a transfer student into the univer- my university. I went to a junior college, two year college, in the town I grew up in, mm-hmm. and um, they actually surprisingly had a really good theater program for a junior college. They did a re- they did a really great work. Um, my uh, my probably my first theater mentor was Doc. We called him Doc Richard okay. Renee, um, and then uh, he really gave me a lot of. Is that your radiator? Knock knock knocking. I guess that's what that is. Is that what that sound that's, is? On that's the, the radiator. So if y'all, if y'all, oh hear, my god, there are times, Greg, I hear that sound. I'm like, is there someone tied up there no, no, no. trying to? Get so that's sound? actually air bubbles in the radiator pipe. That's what that that's is. What it is, Greg? I shit you fucking not. I have thought about that so much, and I think it's. There have been times I think there's like a girl knocking on tr- the pipe, like being like. Someone help me. <laughs> hey, I baby, shit. come on down. Okay, to not, I don't know about that, but, like, <laughs> but oh my God, you just blew my fucking mind no, no, right no. now. That's what that sound That's, is? That is air bubble. So this is actually a heating pipe taking heat, hot water up to the upper floors. I am a fucking idiot. <laughs> and then that's going to take water over to your the radiator on the floor above, and then the continue pipe will go on. So that's how they he- used to heat apartments. They still do, obviously. But in old-timey apartments, they heated apartments by radiator heat. With water and, and and steam, water and steam, and those are uh, those are uh, that's the radiator. Greg is teaching me about apartment I have lived in for five plus years and did not know that. Thanks, Greg. Oh, one. I don't think anybody out of New York City would ever know what that is because I no, didn't know what and, it was <laughs> until you live in New York City in a New York City apartment that has radiator heat because these new high rises don't have radiator heat. Yeah. That the old these old buildings, mine included, has radiators. That's what it was. And it's how they you know, in the old days they would have these big water heaters in the basement that would pump steam up through the and it's it's hot as hell. Yeah. The, the, you know, have you ever I remember because there's one in my bathroom and I've been out of the shower and then have touched it. Oh, naked, it's, it'll, it'll scald it you. About died. Yeah. I was like, whoa. It'll like it's burn your skin off. Literally hot as shit. It's meant to, it's meant to heat the entire room. These what pi- is wrong with me? Why are you? Pi- you're so meant- smart. Well, I've lived here for 29 years. <laughs> so smart. And I'm a history nerd. We can talk about the history nerd. I know, you. You, but you are. And like, those are things that I'm not good nerd. at. I'm not good at that. It's going again. Here we go. Knock, knock, right, knock. All right. You so, folks, if, podcast, you, radiator, if you hear the knocking me. in the background, that's the radiators. Thank you. So, They're anyone that's been listening, if you've commented about that, one, fuck off. Two, that's what it is. <laughs> that's what it is. All right. The the one that I when we went into uh, doing the next show, the only other show I've directed there was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Yeah. And the thing I came into it with Jack was the the, the negotiating point was listen everything the same except I want say in the casting. I yeah. want to be able because you hated me as Luther Billis. No, shut up. That's not. I would exactly keep the cast exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't I would not change a thing. You but I'm what I'm saying is, out of it, but, but I'm what I'm saying is and they they yeah, great. They had great instincts as to who to cast. So yeah. I was so happy when I came in. But I would not have been sure about that. You know, that was a roll in the dark about that. That could have been like, sure. oh God, this person really, this like is who this I have to work pick, with. This is who, yeah. You know, but um hey, of course you, you, you should have role in the casting. But sure. yeah, yeah. I, you know, as a director, I wanted to be able to cast it. Yeah. And so I did, you know, and I had a I had that option for dirty rotten scoundrels as yeah. I got to cast it. Um, overall, I mean, I was told 
there was you know, at school, university. And so yeah. there were things where he, they said, um, you know, we're planning on using these people in other productions, so you can't use these people. Mm-hmm. Um, so those of you who are in Nebraska that thought Greg did, Roderick didn't cast you, it might have been because you were actually doing another show that I, I mean, was not allowed to cast. If anyone from Nebraska Wesley doesn't listen to any of these episodes, they're going to fucking listen to this one. So... You can speak. To yeah. Them. So you know, you know that. That's if you were not cast in Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, Tell there's now, a very Greg. good chance it was because I was told hands off were being used in another production. There you go. That was that. In general, ninety eight percent of the cast I wanted to use. But for the two percent, yeah, just know. Just no. watch out, folks. Two percent, Greg. Let them know. There was two percent of y'all that I didn't necessarily cast. <laughs> yeah. However, I will say. Trying to be so nice. All of you, I absolutely loved at the end. All of you. Maybe. And if you, and now I'm going to joke. If you think it was you, it's you. It's you. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Kidding. It was fucking you. Joking. You're, you're, you're too nice, Greg. Fucking no, let him not. know. Yeah, you are. No, I'm not. You're being too nice. Uh, believe you me. To tell these people that you didn't want that show and tell them to. No, 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 no. Ninety eight percent of you all, I'm, I, I love hundred percent of you all. Ninety eight percent of you all, I cast. And then there was like two percent. I was like, okay, you got to use these people. I'm like, okay, great. We'll leave it at the two percent. And that was what we did. If you think you are the two percent, please message me, and I would like to know. Do not, do not. (laughs) I love you all. I promise, I love you all. Okay. Uh, So I want to get back to actually to Jack and I want to say yep. that, so Jack was a professor of mine for the two years I was there. He mm-hmm. cast me in my first show there. He cast me in more than one show there. He wasn't the only, I mean, worked with different directors, but um, the way you say I am to you as a mentor, yeah. Jack is to me. I mean, that's Jack. Who, that's, that, that's who the, he was your mentor. Yes. I would say there's been, th- as in the arts in the arts, or at least one of them. There have been probably. there have been three. There is mid really? my my original director Doc. Okay. There has been Jack, and then my uh, at the same time as Jack, my my uh, professor Cheryl Miller. She was a dance teacher, and okay. she is more than just a dance teacher. She's been like a just an emotional mentor, a cheerleader okay. of you know doing New York thing. You know, those are my kind of. There's di- there's always like different type of mentors for yeah. like different areas of your life that yeah. I, that yeah, I have yeah. found too, and and. Jack is definitely my actor mentor. So he, why is he your actor mentor? What makes well, him your actor I think just mentor? like he is for a lot of people. He's mm-hmm. so, pa- you said it earlier, he's yeah. so passionate and he's so freaking smart and he knows so much. And I really also appreciate the I, way he goes about things. I remember there was a time they were doing a, ca- like, cause remember we would do different types of auditions at Wesleyan so he could, we could see what different auditions were like if we were going to the professional world. So one of them was like a catacall audition where you'd have to audition in front of other people. So I remember, I do not remember what this show is, but I remember somebody coming up there to sing and then they had forgotten the words and fucking Jack Parkhurst just fills in. He's like, he knows what the words are to the song. Yeah, I can't, does, yeah. couldn't tell you what the musical is, but like, that's how not, he just fucking knows everything. He knows all of it. But I remember him, Blank the the auditioner blank on the words and Jack just filling in like that's what that's what you're supposed to say right now. The other thing that I love about Jack and I've always sort of adapted that and I think it really resonated to me and I think with many many people is he was the first professor or or person the artist that brought to me the idea that. Yeah. Everyone is important in the show. I think we are raised that there's the leads and there's the chorus. Who's the star of this? Who's the star of the show and who's the chorus? And mm-hmm. there's this hierarchy. And he changed that narrative and made for 
and maybe this was like the new generation of thinking, mm-hmm. but it became about everybody's important. Yeah. And um, he changed the word from chorus, which had a, a negative connotation or a lesser connotation, I should say, to ensemble, which yeah. means you are an ensemble of people. You are a togetherness of people creating this art. It's not about the two leads, no. and that is true. And I would, no, it, I, I mean, would actually, yeah. and I would actually extend that to, and I've gained more and more appreciation to this over the years, is the backstage crew and the the artistic crew, yeah. the the backstage crew, the actors on stage cannot do what they do without the backstage crew, yeah. or the the people who create the sets or the costumes or it's the all one, the, the it's props about the performance and the magical of the they story. They are all artists, yeah, and the invisible artists do not get the credit that they deserve. Never, never. They it's never all do. about the actors, and it's not all about the actors. It's it's all about the entire. So shout out to the backstage crew and the artistic staff because they are amazing. Oh, for sure. Um, as, do you have... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, as I get older and I've, I've moved into... We have to talk about this. We've, I've moved into film production. I yeah, have yeah. gained such an appreciation for yeah. the artistic crew outside of being an actor. Yeah, and it's such a huge thing. I remember he he would... um Little Shop, when I, would, when I did Little Shop, and he I had no idea because I, I didn't know anything about this fucking show. And he's like, Dustin, come talk to me. That's my jack impression. I, 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 <laughs> I know. probably better one if I really try to think about it. Um, but he's like, hey, uh, I need you to do this part of the show. And I'm like, what do you need me to do? Because I, I also would like to say, especially if he listens to this, like I always wanted to impress him, like make him proud. Like he was he was one of those people that like, because I think at first I always thought that he didn't think I was good enough for some reason. Like I, I, that might have just been my head, whatever it is, right? But every time, like I wanted to be like I, Jack, I'm good. Like I am, I am an okay actor. I can, I can do this. I can do this. And I just always had that driving force. And I think he brought that out of a lot of people. They brought the best out of them because they wanted to show that like he they could do this. But then I remember him pulling me aside for that little shop. He's like, "Hey, can you lift things up?" I'm like, "Yeah, Jack, I can bench press like this. I lift things like that's what I do." He's like, "We're you're gonna be in this. Uh, you're gonna be a plant." <laughs> he's probably said it more eloquently. <laughs> But that's how I remember the story. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then he's like, so there's this little shop. There's a plant. It eats people. I'm like, the plant eats people in this show? I knew nothing about this musical. I didn't <laughs> understand it at all. But he spent so much time with me. Like, he made me feel, like, really cool. Like, I was never seen throughout the entire show until the very end. But I'm moving this huge plant around, eating people, doing all this shit. And he made me feel, like, really, like, that was a big deal. Because I was not seen until the at the end where I walked out of the thing. But, like, he's... It just fucking. Uh, do you have a favorite like Jack story? Oh, or yes, probably. I'd have to think yeah. about it for a second. Yeah, I was gonna. I was just thinking while you were talking. I thought, how cool is that? That you know, there's some. There's twenty plus twenty years and some change between us. Yeah, and he was both an important person. Yeah. in our lives. I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, and then he brought me you too. You know. Well, there we go. Because Full- he because he obviously saw something so so special in you. Over the years, Jack and I became good friends. Yeah. Like there was a period of time where we sort of left each other's lives. We the occasional like email of like, "Hey, this is what I'm doing," um, and then you know, the, okay, so I'm coming back to getting to to Nebraska. So I yeah. just come off of a gig, and I was back to the you know the the forever treadmill for an actor. It's like you finish a gig unless you have something lined up, yeah. which is great. But if you don't, you're like, okay, back to the drawing board, back to auditions. Back to finding the next one. And I finished a gig and I had just gotten back. And like a week later, I got a 
had call or email from Jack. I, we must have been in touch at that point. We must have been like communicating occasionally. And he's like, hey, what are you doing? I'm like, mm, just got back from a gig, not doing anything. He goes, can you be here in two days? And, really? and I was like, yeah. this is for South? Uh, it was for Sweeney Todd. Oh, yes. That was your first the first Todd, one, yeah. right? Yes. And he's like, I need to take a break. I, need, I uh, He had a personal life thing happen and he needed to Jones step- talked about it on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You had Joan on. Yeah, I want to talk Joan, about it. Yeah. Uh, I love Joan. Um, I Anyway, Joan had a had to step away. They had to step away yeah. for an, a personal issue, and um, Jack was like, "I need somebody to take my classes, and I need somebody to direct uh, Sweeney Todd for a week." And I was like, "Okay." He said, "Really? I just need. Business. Why don't you take that week and you choreograph it?" He said, "I can take care of the directing when I'm back, but I during this week I need help with the big numbers, like City on Fire and like all of the but more you see hot how pies. serious. Like he takes that. Like yeah, it's, yeah. it's a college production, right? In the realm of schemes in the world." Maybe like it's a Nebraska Wesley and it was, it was important to us, but like that's how important the art form right. is to him that he, he had someone that knew how to do the show correctly. Yeah. Like that's what's so special about him. Yeah. He, I, I, so I came for a week and I guessed, I taught his classes and I guessed, I coached his classes. It was exhausting because it was great. It was great. I just meant like I didn't, it was my first time working in a university environment, which yeah. I now have like kneeling hosannas to these to people who are college professors because i don't know how they do it it is a 24-hour job it feels yeah. like it's like a yeah. it's like a 18-hour job I don't, sure. <laughs> <laughs> you are there from like you know 8 a.m till 10 o'clock at night yeah. it just flabbergasts me how exhausting being a college oh, professor yeah. in the theater now i i'm like you know i'm sure if you're a history teacher or a math teacher you check in at 8 a.m you're out by 4 p.m you're done yes, for the day the theaters that's not the how theater, theater is no no it's not these, how it is these theater people People are like in at 8 a.m. to teach their first class or, or rehearse something. And they're around. Then they got dumbass college people coming in, tossing them questions about this and this and this. Yeah. Like they're a therapist at times. They're like a, a mentor. Like it's a, in it's their off hours, thing. they are coaching or being yeah. a therapist. Yeah, really. They are. I literally. So that, that are- first time during Sweeney Todd, I was it was like 8 a.m. till 10 o'clock at night. It was I was insanely wow. exhausted. And it was just a week. Yeah. And I was I was, you know, whatever, working the dance numbers, dance. Num- that's not right. The musical numbers yeah. for Sweeney. There's no dancing in Sweeney. There's, you know, but <laughs> yeah, it's like the musical numbers. So. No, there's like, you know, movement stuff and yeah. crowd, whatever. People dying. Um, but I found with uh, South Pacific and for Dirty Rotten, I found myself locking the office door and taking naps in the office really? in the middle of the day because I was like, I have to recharge my batteries and nobody knows I'm in here. If they know I'm in here, they're going to want to talk, talk to, to me. Yeah. So I just was like, nope, secret. I'm in here. Don't, I'm not going to answer a knock. I'm just going to like take a minute to like, so folks, the moral of the story is <laughs> the if you're, shut. if you're, if the door is shut, Walk away. they're not going to answer. <laughs> they may be Greg in there. Napping on the desk, <laughs> in Jack's desk. And okay? that is, that is literally just so they have the energy to deal with you later. Yeah, because you people are all extra. They, Not me, you. They're exhausted. <laughs> Exhausting and exhausted. Yes. Um, but Jack, yeah, Jack and I became friends over the years, and um, he's just a good friend. How now. did you feel I, when he made that call? Like, did, what was your feeling like when he made that call to be like, I need you to come do this for me? As a mentor, he's your mentor, right? Yeah, yeah. So what was that feeling like oh, when he asked you to come in and do It was the that? best feeling in the world. It's yeah. like somebody who you've always respected and you've always felt. It's a little bit like, I think probably anybody who has a feeling that they have a mentor in their life, mm-hmm. when the mentor calls on you, 
you just feel so proud. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're, you're, it's, it's like you do when it's a little bit like a, a sub parent. It's like you, you feel like you want to make your parents proud yeah. of things. Oh, for sure. It's the same kind of thing. It's like you, if you have a mentor, I don't that let you down. You just want to make them proud. Yeah. That's all. And that was kind of how it was with, with, uh, with Jack is like when he called me to do this, I just wanted to make him proud. I just wanted to do the best job I could for him. And, and also, I just really, I was really proud that he respected me enough to call on me. Mm-hmm. You know, like we all want to make people proud of us, but yeah. you also have to put in your bank that people respect you enough that that you that they respect you enough to. And here's some. The work I'm going to put a, I'm gonna to put, put a quarter in your bank there, Dustin. Okay. Uh, you know, I wouldn't have been on here if I didn't if I wasn't proud of you. You know, see that means a lot to me because that's the same thing you're talking about. That and I'm like, I have this whole. You know, I've talked about how nervous I've been and like me trying to like talk about my thoughts, but like you're my mentor. So it's like me wanting to always make you proud no matter what it is I'm doing in life. And I I, I have so much to thank for you. And I, I don't know when to even get into that part, but it's it's I'm an honor to even have you on and talk to you and everything. But um, but like a little bit more about us. Yeah. What do you think makes our connection? Because I, I find it a very special connection because you directed me in a show and it could have ended there. It could have ended in we directed sure. me yeah. and that was done, right? Yeah. But how many years later, you're sitting in my in my podcast studio, not my bedroom, my podcast studio, and we're talking. You know? What is what do you find special about our connection or is there anything special about us that you'd like to say or anything? Is, oh wow. What's the, why the hell are you talking to me right now? <laughs> That's honestly what I want to ask. Well, I think on a broader, I mean, I think if you you paint with a broader brush, I would say that in general, people are naturally just attracted to certain people. And I'm not talking about sexual attraction. I'm talking about just, yeah. um, uh, uh, there's connections energy. between people. Certain energies Listen, I, uh, my first year in New York, I met, I, uh, no, my first two weeks in New York, those first two famous weeks that I moved to New York, mm-hmm. I went to a show and just sat in the audience. And at intermission, I ended up talking to this person next to me who was a, a Dutch guy. And he lives in the Netherlands. And 29 years later, I'm still friends with him. Yeah. And it was just like, it was just the connection. I think there's certain things in life you're meant to be with certain people. For sure. You connect with people in a certain way that's on a different level. And you're just meant to be friends with those people for for whatever reason. And it's it's the same type of people that you may not see for 20 years. And then you pick it up right where you left off 20 years later. It's just that there's that. So there's that level on for us. I think that there's that level. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just, I appreciate talent, and I think you have an incredible talent. I think you have an incredible charisma. I think you have um, an incredible way of drawing people in. Um, you know, you're winning. Now it's becoming the lo- Dustin love. I know. Person. People are like, all right, Dustin. All right, Dustin. To talk about all you. right. Uh, but no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, I did, okay? But Sometimes uh, I need that emotion. No, you ask us what, you ask why we, we connected, and I, you know, there's... I'm attracted to shiny people and I think you're a shiny person. Um, And I think that um, if you, even if you were a shiny person and you weren't who I connect with, I think I just go back to the fact that there are people that you connect with in life and there are people you don't. There are very charismatic, shiny people that I do not connect with. Mm -hmm. And I think if anything else, your answer is, I don't know why, but you and I are just connected. Yeah. You know, that's, I always thought we've talked about this personally but one of my favorite things where people would just wait, you and Greg like talk to each other. I'm like, yeah, but it's just there. And they're like, well, well how I'm like, 
I just started talking to him. Like that's that that is one of my talents. But also, it was like I just I didn't know how else. It, like it just was there. And I'm like, why are you still friends? I don't know. We're friends. Yeah, we see each other at least probably twice a year. Half the time like, on a very low. Like, I don't know. Like we always joke. What I always joke. We're very every, different, you and I. There yeah, are, there we, are certain we are things different. There's a lot of difference. Yeah, dif- there's things we're us. similar on, but yes. yeah, there's a lot of differences. There is too. for sure. Yeah, like I'm a, I'm out there drinking all day, watching football games on Sundays. <laughs> but, yeah, the sports thing you lost me on. <laughs> yeah, no, I lose you completely. But it's just like, why are you friends? I'm like, it's. I think that's almost the best reason when you say, I don't know why we just are, because yeah. that just means it's just there. Yeah, it's just there, and. I don't know if I know I've talked to this. I've talked about you a bit on the podcast. You're the reason I'm in New York because you got me to come here. And now you, I always talk about how New York helped me find my smile again, whether than anything else, like this place helped me find my smile again. You got me here because you made me feel that I could do it. No matter what I did, you're like, you can do it here, Dustin. Because I never thought I would. You remember the first time I came here. Okay, my favorite, my favorite uh, Dustin. Because I was just about year. to ask you. I was like, what is, do you have a favorite? Yes, I do. Um, so, so I had talked up New York to Dustin. Excuse me. I talked up New York to Dustin. And um, you all came on spring break. Yeah. It was your senior year. It was after South Pacific. Not too long after. I mean, it no, must no. have been like, you know, right, like two months. Yeah, something like that. And yeah. it was your senior year. You came on spring break and you were like first year, first time to New York. For my first time on a fucking airplane. Oh my God. My first time on a fucking airplane, people. <laughs> and because we, a Wesleyan would do a New York trip every two years, I think. So it fell on our senior year. It was a whole thing. And the big thing was it was going to be Dustin's first time on an airplane. <laughs> oh my God. So first time. Into New York. Also, first time my fucking bitch ass was on an airplane. That's a big. That's a big. It was weird. It's that's pr- a big crazy. Yeah. So I I met Dust. I met, I saw Dustin like two or three days into his trip, and they packed that trip. I mean, you guys flew in. You like what? Take some classes, and you like take yeah, some was, workshops. Yeah, and lots you, of workshops. You see shows and all that. So I I met him like three days in. Yeah. I was like, Dustin, how do you like New York? And he's like, eh, It's okay. I. D- didn't I think I was either I don't know if I told you I hated it I was afraid to tell you that I didn't like it yeah because I hated it and I, I was hated like, it I was like well what have you seen he's like well you know we've been in Times Square I'm like are you kidding yeah. me <laughs> no. I'm like that is literally the butthole of New York I think I paid twenty bucks for a bunch of fucking laffy taffies or some yeah, shit like, it was like it was... literally okay folks if you've never been to New York America if you've never been to New York when you come to New York see Times Square. And then get away from it. Get the fuck Square. away from it. Immediately. It's cool to see. Don't get me wrong. It is. New York is. is cool. I mean, uh, Times Square is cool. Yes. But it's not New York City. No. And once you get away from Times Square and you see how New Yorkers live, you see the restaurants, you see the cool stuff, it's an awesome city. Yeah. And finally, Dustin saw, by the end of the week, I saw you again at the end of the yeah, week. And then you're I like, came back because I was, I think I, I, I had some sort of audition. And then I was like, I'm going to go out here and just see. What you told me was not just do this and do something else and see if it's going to be a good fit. And then yeah. I had way better time. I remember I was going out to where the fuck were we? It was an outside drink. We were right by the water. Like it was just beautiful. And then, then I was like, I might be able to do this. I might be able to live here. Yeah. It's a great city, but you do, you, you have to get away from the tourist area. Yeah. The tourist. Otherwise you're just, and it, it's not an easy city. It's probably one, as we said, we circle them back around yeah, and yeah. we can make it here. You can anywhere. It's the hard, it's a hard ass city. Hard. But uh, it's also the, it's, oh, freaking, I love it. I mean, no. even 
29 years later, I still love New York. Yeah, I still love it. Crazy shit's happened here, but it's there's nothing like it. Like, no, it's not. And it's not for everybody. And it no. may be for everybody, some for a part of the time, and then they're ready to make a life change. I know we have some mutual friends who lived here for a while, and then they yeah. decided to go and live somewhere else. And that's okay. You lived here for a bit, but then you decided to make a life somewhere else, and that's okay, too. You know, yeah. there's nothing, there's no... There's no God up above that says, you didn't live in New York for the rest of your life. <laughs> Listen, I don't necessarily want to live here the rest of my life, but it's yeah. it's possible I will. Um, there's things I'd like to do other than live here, but yeah. we'll just see where life takes me. But you can do so many different things here. And it's like, yeah, I don't think, I don't know if I'll be here forever, but I, you gave me the belief of that I, that I could. Because there were so many people in my life that told me that I couldn't and telling me like, you're not going to like, Dustin in New York, like that's not gonna, you're not gonna be successful there. But you made me feel like I could. You told me that I was like, no, your, your charisma, like whatever your talents are, like you can, you can do well here or like make a living here, whatever it is. And I have a a teacher of mine. I wouldn't go as far as calling him a mentor, but he was somebody who definitely said some things to me that really sunk in. A great, great professor and Mm -hmm. teacher um, who, a lot of us in the Midwest, and I think I'm speaking for many of us in the Midwest, yeah. I think growing up there, we feel like, oh, you know, that's New York. That's, we can't do that. That's bigger. It's oh, bigger that's, than yeah, us somehow. Yeah, family, yeah. You know? And um, I think that what he said was, you know, New York City is not full of theater gods that came down from Mount, Mount Olympus. No, um, not at all. They're full of people from North Carolina and Missouri and Idaho. It's a melting pot. It's it's it, literally is what everyone tells it is. It's people, people from came everywhere. here with no. There's one. a fucking there's a Nebraska bar in New York City. Like there is yes, there was a Nebraska bar that like people from Nebraska just go to to watch games. Like that's what's crazy about the cities. Like I go to a country bar that are just filled with Packer fans. Like. That's what New York has. That like, is, There's yep. bars of yep. anything that you like. You can you find can people to. speaking Ukrainian or you can people yep. at Nebraska. Yep. That's like it's literally it. New York City. Yeah. It's, I've nutshell. had people chase me down. I've been wearing like a Nebraska hat and some New Yorker be like, run to talk. And it's like, you're from Nebraska? I'm like, yeah, you're from Nebraska? And like those things happen here. It's fucking crazy. Yeah. It's a, it's a small town in some ways. It, it, yeah. I've been in parts of the city I've never been in my life, and I will run into somebody I know. Yep. It's the craziest thing. You think how big it is, and you'll be going and walking around, and you're like, is that fucking Donnie? Are yeah. you Don- what <laughs> yeah. the fuck? Yeah. Hey, what's up, man? Crazy. It's crazy, yeah. It's insane. Um. Yeah, so it's like, it's not... It's not a city where everybody knows something better than you do. Everybody moved here from somewhere and everybody just figured it out and worked out, you know, and, and made it happen for themselves. And either you love it or you don't. It's not it. It's not for everybody. And that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. You'd always told, you were the person that told me three years. You said, Dustin, you can't live. And I remember sitting, even if it was tough at times, I was like, Greg told me I have to be here three years to really get the experience of it. And I, that's always stuck with me. And then. Six years later, we doubled that. Yeah, because when you when you live here for a year, it's just really you're just it's like basically being a year long tourist. You're just yeah. you haven't really given it a chance. You don't know. You're still learning the city at that point. It's not really worth. But I'd say three by three years, you've officially lived here. Yeah, and you feel like you know it. And if if you feel like okay, I can do more of that, then great. And if yeah. not, it's no no shame. You did three years here. Go and move yeah. to another city that makes you happier. It's all good. I will say this. I don't know if this is a this is an argument, but I, I the question here is because I was talking to my friend Justin Minchow, which I think you you know Justin, right? Yes, I love Justin. So, Hi, Justin. Yeah, shout out Justin. I don't know if he listens, but fuck him. <laughs> but um, so we were talking about like I think we were just sitting at a bar, and I go, "Do you ever?" Because you said you're a New Yorker here, right? You you told me that. 
There's a part of me that doesn't think I'd ever consider myself a New Yorker. Oh, come on. 29 years later, I still got a little Missouri boy in But me. I'm always like, I'm I'm a Nebraskan. I'm a Nebraska boy. I'm an, I'm from Nebraska. And I think that's what's special about me. But I, oh, yeah. I think it's a weird thing. I don't know if you, you, you consider yourself a New Yorker. Oh, absolutely. I don't think I ever want to say that for some reason. I wear that stupid ass cowboy hat around the fucking city to be like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm from Nebraska, but I live here. I don't know if that's bad it's not no. like a bad it's just you can be whatever you want New York. i can be whatever the fuck you can, I want. You, yeah there's nothing that's wrong with that no i just was curious if you thought like because i guess for I me for me personally over a period of time i felt like i identified more as a new yorker than i did as, as uh, somebody from missouri why I is mean, that uh part of it is i don't want to get down down this road very far but part of it is political okay part of it's cultural I just am attracted more to the politics and the culture of New York and the East Coast in general. Gotcha. Uh, East Coast, West Coast. I'm more of a liberal yeah. than I am a conservative. And I know the, cent- the the middle of the country is more conservative. Yeah. I'm not bashing anybody. I'm just saying no, for sure. I see them is. in a different way. Um, I, I My opinions and beliefs and cultural feelings tend to gravitate towards the the coasts. And I think what I love about here is the amount of different types of people I get to meet because yeah. I love meeting so many new people. I loved one of my favorite things about New York when I first moved here was getting in an elevator and and hearing different languages all the time. Yeah. You hear English and Chinese and French <laughs> That's and German and Israeli so much. And, and Vietnamese. All the, I mean, loved that. That's my favorite thing. One of my favorite things about oh, New York. Oh, it's fucking incredible. The, the homo- homogeny to me is boring. It's not for everybody, but it is for me. I like the mix of things. Okay. So that the mix of cultures and the mix of ideas and, and you know, New York is arguably the greatest city in the world. You think so? Arguably. People arguably. don't think that. I think it might, it's up there in the top three, yeah, probably. Like, what, what would be, what would be, a, what, Ooh, what that's a harsh, you to harsh, that, that's a hard I, question. I set myself up, here. didn't you I? Did, you did, right? Like I had to ask him like, cause um, like, I'm always going to say like, even if you don't say cities, there's too many fucking cities in the world. But like New York places to be like, I still Nebraska is maybe it's I also think maybe sometimes like I, I used to always think I always want to get the fuck out of Nebraska. But now living out there for so long, I'm like, oh, that's what I love about that place. You and gain appreciation I, yeah. for your home state. Yeah, yeah you do. You, you do because you're gone so long and you're not there. And you're like, oh, I miss that part of it. But. My whole life's here, and I love this part of New York. And not City only too. that, you can always love your home state, but it, you've also you also grow as a human over yeah. time. Oh, and there's wouldn't have little... able to grow as much as I have if I didn't mm-hmm. live if I lived in Nebraska the entire time because I wouldn't have seen half the shit that I've seen since living here. And I, I said to all of the the students that I had classes at Nebraska, I said, listen. Even if you decide to come back and live here for the rest of your life, please do yourself a favor of living somewhere else. It doesn't have to be New York City, mm. but go somewhere else. Experience yeah, just something. Atlanta or or New Orleans or L.A. or San Diego or Seattle or Canada. Live somewhere else. Yeah. Experience. Do yourself a favor of growing as a human being and experiencing a different culture and a different type of people and a different yeah. vibe. Sure. I mean, every city has a different vibe. Yes. So, you know, live in a different vibe for a year or two or three and then if you after those three to six years to say you know what i really love nebraska i want to go back there then yeah. great you absolutely seal of approval yeah. you have been you have given yourself the chance to grow as a human being yeah and, and you can't do that if you don't at no. least try to see other outside of what you've always known and then you really appreciate your home even more yeah if you never leave you can't appreciate it yeah the way that you can if you leave and come back known. 
what was your dream going up? What was the dream of Greg? Like, what was your number one goal? Well, when I was a kid, I don't think I had a particular dream. No. I mean, I hadn't discovered theater really. I mean, I told you I did screw Tiny Tim. Yeah. And I, so I was the one to act. But yeah. growing up in a small town, that was being an, a professional actor wasn't on the table. Yeah. We're all raised in the Midwest, at least. To be like, you have to get a real job. You know, you have to go out and get that thing. Yeah, yeah. And um, so even in high school, I always thought, oh, well, this is fun. This is a really great thing I do. But mm -hmm. it's not what you make a career on. Yeah. And so I think I always, I don't know. I didn't think too much about it yet. I thought to myself, oh, I, I don't know what I'm going to do yet. And my first job job was uh, as a front desk clerk at a motel. Oh, really? That was your first like yeah. first job? My first job job. I was Ooh, in how high was school. that? I was in high school, huh? My brother-in-law works at like a hotel, like yeah. the hotel industry. How'd you like that? I liked it. You I did? did. You did? I really Great. did. And when I was in late high school, early college, and those first two years at a, a junior college, yeah. I worked there and I, I thought, I really like this. Maybe I'll go into like hotel management. Maybe I'll go into like the, the travel industry because I freaking love to travel. Like my, my big three loves as outside of the industry is yeah. probably is, is I'm nerding out. I'm like history, uh, languages and travel. Those are yeah. like the three things I love to do. And so I love to travel and, and, um, I always thought, well, I'll go into the travel agent, the industry, somewhere yeah. in the travel industry, because I think if there was another, there's a parallel universe, I'm probably working in the travel industry. I, so? like, I love that. Um, I love traveling. I love staying in different places. But anyway, blah, blah. Um, I was uh, uh, working as a front desk clerk, and I thought, well, this is this is where I could really go. But I mean, my true love was performing. Yeah. So my freshman year in college, I went up to see a show at the Fox, and... Um, I remember looking down on that stage and I'm thinking, well, why do I have to do something else? These people on stage are making a living doing performing it. Yeah. And why not me? If yeah. they can do it, why can't I? Yeah. Um, so I did. I, right you then did. I decided, you know what? Go for it. Because I thought, so what? If you don't make it, whatever making it means. Yeah, whatever that means. You know, you. Third, you can always go back and decide to do something else. Yeah. You don't have, nobody says you have to do it the rest of your life. You mm. can do it for 10 years and, or, and then, you know, or if, if I moved to New York and I'd flopped in the first year, mm -hmm. okay, I go back and do something else that's easier or safer or whatever, you know, it's just like, nobody's going to go for it. No but if what, I don't, and I wake up and I'm 75 years old and I never tried it, yeah. I would have regretted the rest, rest of sure. my life. So then that moment that you get on Broadway and you've created, you, and you were able to conquer what is so many actors dreams dreams like yep. that's their dream to do like what is that because i think you're you're honestly greg like you're the first person i've had on my podcast where like everyone's dreams are different right but like as a theater person like that's that's the mecca mm -hmm. for a lot of actors so when you do that what is that feeling like what is it like when you 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 get cast and you're like i'm going to do what the ultimate thing is to any actor that's in a stage like doing theater you're about to do that what is that feeling like when you've conquered i don't know is the right word but like you've you've been able to you've done it where so many people can't like people that i've known for so long they keep trying to do this and they still haven't gotten that yeah what's that like when you when you're able to get, um achieve um, that goal chills yeah stillness relief um overpowering 
emotion that's undescribable. Um, tears. Yeah. Um, it's a hard question to ask. It like is. It is undescribable. Yeah, it's an indescribable emotion. It's but a you little did like that. you like you accomplished. It's that. a little like winning the lottery, but better because you actually achieved it versus just a random Someone number that got pulled. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really something that it's undescribable. I had that feeling twice in my life. Okay. The first time was um, when I booked my first national Broadway national tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and not only was it a first Broadway national tour, but it was directed by Hal Prince and music directed and composed by Jason Robert Brown. Wow. It was parade parade the first. And so when I got that, when I got the call that I got that, I literally, my body went numb. I got the phone call. Um, yeah. cause it was a voicemail I got, and I got the voicemail saying that I booked it. And I stood there in the middle of my apartment and my roommate was there. Not actually a sublet of my roommates who I'd gotten very close to was there and um, he saw I, he saw my face change, and he said, "You got it." And I just nodded. I couldn't speak; I was speechless, yeah, did, and I just nodded. And he started doing like this dance around me, and all I could do was just stand there. My body was completely numb, and I was like tingling, and I literally couldn't believe it. Who's the first person you wanted to tell? Uh, probably my parents. I probably parents? called them yeah. right away. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it had to been. Um, getting emotional even just i know i'm hearing i was just like but it's it is it was just unreal and then and then when i got the call for broadway i had um i had gone through the whole audition process and first of all broadway folks is a crapshoot it's like it happens or it doesn't i have known the most talented people in the world who have never gotten on broadway and i know people who frankly shouldn't be there who are there so it's it's not a litmus test for talent. Please, yeah, God, sure. take that. If nothing else if from anything, this, yeah, it's not from nothing. I'm not else. talented enough. If I'm not on. It is ways. not a litmus test on talent. It for is sure. a lottery, and some people get lucky, and some people do not. Yep. That is basically the bottom line of it. Got it. It's an economically. It's got a lot of. Bro- it's got a lot of money behind it, but it does not mean talent. No. Um. That being said, I I had a door opened up. I happened to get in the auditions. I got. Through and through and through, kept jumping through the hoops. Great. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to get it. I thought I was going to get it. And the calls came that day. And I, I was on text met threads with several friends of mine who were also up for it. And some of them like, oh my God, I got it. Other people were like, oh my God, I haven't heard anything. I didn't get a call. And I called my agent several times at that time. I'm like, no word. And um, the agent kept calling the casting director. I'm like, an offer's not on the table yet. An offer's not on the table yet. An offer's not on the table yet. And then my agent at the end of the day said, I'm sorry, but there's no offer on the table. And I was devastated. I mean, yeah. literally, I thought this was it. I, I had this. Yeah, this yeah. I could feel it in my absolute bones. And that's just This so was it. Bloody. How do you feel in that moment? Like, do you just go, like, deflate? And- yeah. I was numb in the wrong way. I was yeah, absolutely numb in the bad, move. bad way. Yeah, that was horrible. It was one of the biggest, it was the lowest point, one of the lowest points in my life as a performer that I knew I had it and I didn't. I knew it. I mean, I just knew it. Um, And then uh, that was, that would have been like October. Okay. And then the the show started rehearsals in February. Uh, It opened in April to rave reviews. Mm -hmm. And then like, hmm. End of April, I got an audition for a replacement. And I went in and I was nervous again. 
But also I thought, well, I didn't cast the first time, but I don't know. I'm going to go in and do my thing. I did my thing. And um, it was like, I don't know, 2.30 in the afternoon I went in. I was in there for just a few minutes. I went in there. I sang the same song I sang before. I read the sides that they gave me before. And they were like, thank you. And I left. And um, it was a beautiful, warm, sunny day. This must have been... I lying it must have been may because it was warm yeah. april's not warm in new york if anybody's ever been to new york. <laughs> but it was warm in may I, I decided to get on a bike and i was riding my bike down the west side highway uh, hudson river park yeah. bike lanes and i feel my phone ring so i pull over and i see it's my agent and i answer and he she says you got it and it was only like two hours i had just left the audition like two hours before if that it had just happened and I just remember sitting at the edge of the, I just, I stopped and I yeah, like sat down. I can remember literally the spot that I sat down on and I just kind of was numb again, numb yeah. again, that feeling of numbness and like accomplishment, that feeling of accomplishment yeah. and like, holy shit, I have, I'm in a, I'm doing Broadway and, um, yeah, it was nothing like it. I can't describe the feeling. No, cause you, yeah, but it's, I can't imagine it's. I'm feeling it a little bit though, just listening to you. I'm just like in awe somewhat of yeah. like hearing somebody with part of their dream like just come true that sometimes people don't get. That's such, that's fucking beautiful. I'd say many people don't. And that's, yeah. that's, I wish more people did. Oh, yeah. Because I, it's, it's a feeling that I wish I could give to everybody. Yeah. In you some level, it. whether it's being the, the, the CEO of a, of a, a design company or whatever, like whatever job it is. I, I, I hope that everybody at some point can feel that feeling of unimaginable elation. And yet also just shock and numb that you actually accomplished yeah. the thing you've worked for, for so long actually happening. Yeah. Um, wow. I, I could tell something that could compare to it in a sense, but it's not on that level. So bear with me here, but it's, not a Broadway show, but I remember like the first time I ever got cast in a show that was going to pay me mm -hmm. to whatever. And I remember that phone call and me just like pulling over and be like, someone's actually going to pay me to be on stage right now. Mm -hmm. And that feeling of like, I remember my first person I called was Miles. And I remember calling him and telling him, I was like, I got, I got it. And then I'm moving out of Nebraska to go do some show that did not pay me near enough money. But um, it's that show right there, Crashing with Flamingos. Yeah. And I was like, that feeling of like part of my dream, not my, not the Mika dream. Right. But uh -huh. like, it doesn't compare to that. I'm not, I'm not trying to like compare art. Like, the, are you, you kidding? Know, no, it's, it's, it's all those, those victories. Things, those the little victories. victories are important. Like mm -hmm. in, in Absolutely. those things as an actor specifically. Mm -hmm. And it's like that happened. I'm like, I had to pull over and I cried and I was like, someone thinks I'm like talented. Like mm -hmm. and it was this whole thing and it was, it's beautiful, but it's beautiful that you got to experience it. It's such a, such a high level that so many people don't get to. So did you call your parents after you got that one? Oh, well, obviously, absolutely. That was probably the first call. I'm guessing. I mean, I don't remember. Yeah, no. I was numb, but I'm I, sure. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm numb means that I feel like I would be numb. Yeah, completely. I'm sure I hung up with my agent and then the next call was to my parents. I'm sure it was. Did I like, tweet it immediately? There was no Twitter. There was no Twitter then. then? No, no Twitter there then? probably was. I wasn't on Twitter back then. I had to. I had to carve it in stone and throw up in the air. Um, no. <laughs> that scar. I carved it on the the closest tree that I yes, could find. Exactly. Well, like Greg's made Broadway. Broadway debut. Um, yeah, I'm sure I did. I'm sure I did. But you know, one of the again, getting back to what you said, really is strikes home. It's about it's about celebrating the small victories. Mm -hmm. 
you know, yes, the big victory is the big victory. Yeah. But I think if you go through life really celebrating the stuff that, you know, set a smaller goal and when you accomplish it, feel that deep accomplishment. Yeah. And, you know, just find the happiness in life. Yeah. You know, find the things whatever that Whatever the happiness happy. is to you, whatever mm-hmm. that dream is to you, whatever those uh, victory, because it's important because sometimes we think if we don't sell, if we don't get this major thing, then it's not, it's not as important, but that small victory can like change your entire mood. Absolutely. It, it really it, No matter can. what it is. Like that's, you know, that plate behind you right over there, grab that plate, Greg. So that, that's, this is a small victory. Those are, those are the first children I've ever taught. Oh. And they put their little thumbprints on it. Oh my God. And I've talked about this on the podcast a little bit, but like, These that's a victory. Thumbprints? Those How are little thumbprints of toddlers. And that, that Have you was described like, this plate online. Huh? Have you described a little bit? Plate? Yeah, but yeah. it's, it's, you can describe it. Look. No, it's, it's, it's a white plate. And at first it just looks like little Christmas lights. It looks like little tiny Christmas lights strung together by a line and there's little names by them. But then you, the closer, when he describes it, the little Christmas lights are actually their little fingerprints. That's yeah. so cute. And that's a victory that oh I had. I was good enough of my job teaching these little children when I don't have an education background to where families wanted to send that to me and be like, we still miss you. That was a year after I had left Chicago. And I was like... Lincoln Park, or so Chicago, yeah, yeah. It was the coolest... It, it just feeds it, like, those little victories of, like, that's... I'm like, okay, I'm, 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 not, I'm doing okay in this, in this thing called yeah. life right now. Yeah. All you right, know? you know there's such things as plate hangers, right? You can get a plate hanger and... Oh, hang do I need to get a plate wall. hanger and do that? Okay. It's got four little, like hooks that you can it like hugs the plate okay with a little thing in the back and you just hang the plate on the wall right. so then it doesn't have to sit over here on the like the your dresser <laughs> okay don't talk don't tell people where it's at okay <laughs> don't tell people how not fancy i am um all right everyone give me a play hanger i'll find play hanger. well play you hanger can have it like sitting in a laundry basket or something i mean it's like on the it's on the like actual dresser there's okay. for, for the record folks there is no laundry basket in dustin's room i it's promise the, you that it's in the closet um <laughs> listen my laundry basket's in the closet that's where they that's, that's where, where they, they go. live it's really close nobody open the closet right now though, okay <laughs> but i did have a <laughs> you won't find this as funny as i do but one person i got was why are you so sexy <laughs> so i got that one okay so, so why is greg so sexy because greg you're good looking dude okay good looking okay. dude now you don't have to go down the whole love life, but I, I feel like you're, I feel like you've done pretty well in life. Now, Alan is a gorgeous man, gorgeous man. Um, but why is Greg so sexy? All right. So first of all, I've never thought that. Um, never. We, you know, I, one of the things on my list I wanted to talk about, and it, it ties into what that question mm-hmm. is: imposter syndrome. So I didn't. That was. Uh, we're so good at this, but I was gonna. I didn't know if that was about being in New York or what. What is imposter syndrome? So we'll we'll talk. I'm going to come back to imposter okay. syndrome, but right. it's a little bit about like not thinking you are what you really are. Okay, and feeling like you are an imposter that you're not what you are branding yourself as. Okay. Whether it's 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 on a base level, it's like saying you're not good enough. You you think you're not good enough, but you are. Okay, and um, so getting back to the looks thing, whatever. I don't ever have never felt that. I've no. never felt like I'm attractive or sexy. I've always felt like a nerd or, um, I don't know, just not the thing that, you know, people look at and be like, he's hot. Thank you all who think that that is the case. Um, Shout out to you. I also think self, 
confidence. I think self、um, realization is sexy.、Mm-hmm. I think being able to be a to thine own self be true. You know the old Hamlet or the old、uh, Shakespearean. I don't. Know, I'm just.、Yeah. It's not Hamlet. I don't know what. What is it, Dustin? To thine own self be true. It's a. It's a Shakespeare thing, right? I don't know. You put me on the spot there. I'm not the best. Look it up、person. on the interwebs. To, that,、uh, to thine、that. own self be true.、Um, but I think that, I think the being, as authentically self, as authentically true to who you are, and being completely just laying it all the out. Bible.、There. That's、what、the Bible. Is it? is it really the Bible? Do they know self be true? No, it's famous Shakespeare quote. I'm stupid. Don't listen to me. Keep talking, please, and make beautiful things.、Um, so I think that just being the most authentic self you can be is attractive. It's Hamlet. You're right. Is what? It's, it's Ophelia from Hamlet. Ophelia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All、so. um, oh, right. So,、um, wow, I got that right.、Um, yes, I think that being your true authentic self is sexy. I think people that really can just、Trust、be who they are. are Um, and as many times as I've myself have felt super insecure, and believe me, I still fight with that. I think you fight、yeah. with that your whole life.、Yeah. On some level, someone is insecure.、Yeah. As you get older, you start seeing why certain people behave the way they do because they're insecure. It comes off as false, false bravado, false、uh, security.、Yeah. But in reality, the bigger of a deal they make of themselves, the more insecure they probably. But if are. you're super confident. Comfortable with yourself, you might be sexy. Yeah, you know,、okay. it's not about beautiful personal, like magazine, Sports Illustrated cover looks. Yes, it really isn't. I mean, yes, that's a superficial thing, but do you really want those type of people to be、For、necessarily、sure. attracted to you? You want you want、Crum. people that are attracted to you because you're being authentic, not because、yes. of some plastic thing you've put on. Because what then they're attracted to、that's、is the、true. plasticity that you've put on, not you. And if you are being truly you. And they're attracted to you, then you know they're the real deal. I think that's when. All right, now I'm getting personal, folks. Personal, personal alert.、Um, <laughs> I think that's when I found my husband. When、oh, I stopped. That's such a question I have written down too. When I, I when I stopped trying to be somebody else, and truly started being like, well, this is it. Take it or leave it. This is what I am.、Um, that's when you. That's when he came in. That's when you found. That that's boy. when he arrived. That boy.、Um, Can I can I ask what's what's that moment like when you when you when you find him? Scary, yeah. I'd say first. Why scary? Yeah. Um, it is for me. For him, I think he had. Was it scary to- in the fact of like you got a feeling that's like I don't know what this is,、uh-huh. but it's something strong, but you don't know what it is. Yes, and also the fear of getting the thing you want. So, okay, so fear of like this is what you want, but like I don't. I think we all go through life. Actually, being afraid of really getting what we want. What if you, I think Dustin? That is so semi. Okay. What if you, Dustin, actually dared to believe you got what you wanted? Yeah, I, that's pretty profound, right? Yeah, like it's it's actually scary to like dare to believe. What if I actually got what I wanted? That's scary. We all we all go through life looking at that thing and being like, "Oh, that's the thing I want." But what if you actually get it? What happens then? What do you do? What what's the worst thing that could happen? And that's the thing that happened with me. Like I went through my life wanting so desperately to be with somebody. I mean, as a gay man, that's a whole different ball game than being a straight man. I mean, yeah, we've we talked to yeah, we've that, talked about that off. Yeah, we've talked about that off. Like, you know, it's 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 challenging as a gay man because everybody's always looking for the better thing.、Um, is that you think that's specific to gay culture? I don't know. Is it? Because I, I feel like sometimes I've I've struggled with that. Like I, as a, maybe、I'm、it's like, not. Not that someone's ever I'm better than them, but like, 
what if something else is out there? But that's well, I think that's yeah. more of a personal thing to me where I'm always like thinking, but what if what if this next thing's there? Like I I, I that might be a thing that I struggle with, I guess. But no, well, I can only speak from the perspective of a gay of mm-hmm. a gay world, and I know that for me and for many gay men, there is the constant thing and maybe it's a new york thing i mean maybe it's just that there's it's like the embarrassment of riches you have so much out there that you think well maybe there's something always you're always looking over the shoder of the person you're with for something that might be better yeah i don't think that's necessarily new york i think la deals with that i think big cities deal with that when you have a big pool of people and maybe in the straight world where that's everywhere you have that always that sense that there might be something better out there um i've often admired people who found their love not that I really wanted. I actually am very happy I found my love late in life because I got to experience yeah. all of these other experiences. Yeah. But all that time I was yearning for the one. The one. Um, and also, I want to say to all those America out there, um, I did not find my husband until I was 41 years old. So if you are 35 and you're like, it's never going to happen for me, wrong answer. It I mean, I happen. use you as a thing every time where I think like, all right, I still haven't found that that one. But like... Greg found him a little later. Absolutely. Than, a little later. You know, I know it's different for sometimes. ladies because there's the whole biological clock ticking. If you want to have children, that becomes an issue. Yeah, for sure. But if children are not on the table, it can happen anytime. Yeah. You know, Alan and I are, yes, I have a lot of gay friends who want children, but Alan and I do not. We'd never have wanted. I mean, I don't, I think I didn't want children since I was 23. You know, it's like, yeah, I just have never wanted children. Um, but, you know, we were also at an age where all of our all of our shit's been worked out, you know? And by the time we got together, it's just been great and so easy. It's just easy. Yeah. It's all so the easy. other bullshit was gone. Yeah. And then you yeah. could just be yeah. who you truly were because, like, it, everyone's journey is different. Yeah. You find out who you are, and then you can just be who you are, and it, and it meshes. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, so many, and not just me, so many people I know who have been through their lives, and-, and uh, I also also admire people who found their true love at at twenty and have been together for sixty or fifty years. You yeah, know, it's yeah. like there's that too. I'm not. That, yeah, it's like my I, my grandma and grandma. Yeah, like there's been together that's first. great. I'm not that. Not, I'm absolutely you know bow down to that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. But also, um, I know so many people who've gone through life who have had their first or second marriage, and then they hit their fifties or sixties and they find their true love. Their love that is just mind-blowingly, that's the one they meant to be with. Their best friend that they love, it never gets tired. You can talk to them ad nauseum. You love being in their company all the time. That's me with Alan. Like, I just, I'm never tired of him. We love being together. And, like, he's my best friend. He's everything. Like, um, so it took me 41 years to get there, but I found him. But you found him. And I think that that's, I hope that for everybody, that if, yeah. if you want, some people I also know love being single. Yeah, some people are like, that's just how it is. But don't, if you're, if you're 29 and think the world is ending because you're not, you're 30 and you haven't found your partner, please have fun. Date, date guys. If it ends, okay, learn from it and mm-hmm. keep going. When you're ready to be healed, heal yourself and then start looking again. I think I need to be better at that. I think I, I've held on to certain heartbreak, and you're like, all right, that's how that's going to, like, I just, I'm done. All right, fine. But it's like, just put it away. And I think I'm, I'm getting older. Takes 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 time to realize, I'm like, it's okay. Throw yourself out there. Just it keep trying time. it again. And forgive yourself. Yeah. You know, there's there's nothing that, 
is the right answer. And there's yeah. no right, you know, don't flagellate yourself because you held on to this for too long. There was a guy that broke that broke up with me that I, I carried a torch for for three years before I finally was able to snuff that torch and be like, you know yeah. what? It's time to move on. Yeah. But three years I held on to that. And it was like, I just couldn't, I really couldn't allow my, I couldn't unfortunately give anybody else me during those three years because, because I was still carrying this torch for somebody. It's crazy that we do that though sometimes. Yeah. And it, I think everyone does that. I've held on. Yeah. It's, but if you let, if when, but it, it takes time. Everyone's time is different when you're able to let that go. All right. Now we can move on and try something else. And it's just different for everybody else. Yep. That is a fucking beautiful fucking story. And that's <laughs> fucking incredible. So something you brought up earlier was about imposters, um, imposter, imp, can't fucking say the word, imposter syndrome. Right. What does that mean to you? What do you mean by that? All right. I had not heard this term before. And then when I heard it, I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, so for me, imposter syndrome, and I think a lot of artists deal with this, um, is you somehow don't feel like you're the real deal that okay. you are somehow an imposter that like um everybody else knows what they're doing and I don't okay. um and the truth is is nobody else knows what they're doing and they're better than you do and you mean just like kind of in the performing like the performing sense of it mm. no i think it i think this can be across the board i think if okay. you are a an ex, if you are a, a middle level executive and you're given this task and you think okay, I don't really know what I'm doing. Other people know what they're doing, but I don't. So I'm going to fake it. Um, I don't think I felt imposter syndrome truly until I started branching over into the film production stage where I really didn't, I really didn't know what I was doing, um, but I faked it. Um, and what I found is that there came a point where I actually did know what I was doing, but I didn't think I did. So imposter syndrome is when you feel like you're an imposter, that you're really not what people think you are. You're an imposter. Okay. I'm not really an actor. Everybody sees me as an actor, but I'm not really that. Or I'm not really a producer. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, a, I'm oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm a producer, but I, people are seeing me as a producer, but I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. And so you fake it. So what moment do you have moments that you feel the most that way? Like, do you like when you're film editing, because you're a film editor, a very yeah. talented film yeah. editor. Do you feel that way when you're doing that? Or is there moments in life that make you feel that way stronger than others? Yeah. I mean, I never, I never felt that so much as an actor. Okay. Although there were times that I felt like. Because I, I would say your description, I kind of feel that way as an actor. Yeah. I think everybody has that on, on something. Yeah. Um, I, I felt that way. Not so much as an actor in the sense that I thought I was not an actor or people saw me as an actor and I wasn't, but I maybe sometimes sold myself short and could have reached higher than I did. Okay. I think that there were times, I, I especially when I first moved to the city, I was this little Midwestern boy yeah. who thought that everybody was so much better than I was. Yeah. And that's not, not true. There were just people that were more confident than I was. Maybe, and there yeah. were people that carried themselves with like, the, I remember, so when I first moved to the city, all the boys were trying to get into Les Mis. 
It was the show. It was the original Les Mis. Like the Les Mis boys, they they were like cocky and confident and good looking, and they all had sh- hair down to their shoulders because it was the eighties, and you could get away without with that was how it works. Everybody had you know, it's like oh, this long hair, and they. Were, I think I'm growing a mullet. So yeah, well, you know, that's big nowadays. <laughs> I I can't stand it, but you know, apparently it's coming back. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh but you know the lay Miz boys were a real thing i mean they were these hot yep. shot good looking boys with shoulder length hair that sang big big singing but you know i could sing like that but i didn't have the confidence that they had they came into these auditions like their shit didn't stink and they walked in and was confident and cocky and 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 good looking and full of bravara, bravada and they just did it and they got cast in lay Miz. and and i felt like being from the small town Missouri, I was like, "Well, I'm not that. I'm a small town boy, and I don't know anybody." You know? Yeah, and just... um, I didn't carry that confidence with me that these boys did. Uh-huh. I don't know where they were from. Maybe they were from small town Missouri, yeah, you know, for all I know. So then, when when do you find that confidence? When did you find that confidence, or how have you found that confidence in certain areas to um, uh, uh, fight that imposter syndrome back? In a sense, I think it's a moment where you have to literally sit with yourself and say. I am good at this. Mm-hmm. You have to self-accept your yep. your successes. Not, I think, and maybe this is only a Midwestern thing, but I think that there's a Midwestern penchant for making yourself think that you're not as good as everybody else. Because it's called humility, or like maybe. you have to. We have to make sure that like I don't want to sound like I'm the best thing in the fucking world. Like I have to sit there and that's how my dad is. Like my dad's probably the best fucking. Built out best houses in the fucking Nebraska, but he was he's never gonna go like I'm the fucking look. yeah. So the the humility is almost to the up teeth to the point where like we don't have the confidence in whatever yeah. And sense. I think the confidence and the the confidence has to come from an authentic place. It can't be false because yeah. you know we yes, it is incredibly uncomfortable for us to sit with ourselves and say you know what I'm really good at this. It makes it us feel uncomfortable yeah. to say that as Midwesterners. Maybe because somebody thinks you're like, oh, that's, that's a cocky thing to yeah. say. And okay, yes, it can be cocky if you throw it around. If you're like, well, yeah. I'm the best. You know, that, that can be cocky, but you don't have to say it. You, you don't just have, have to, to say believe that. it. And you don't have to say it like that, though, too. No. There's a different way to say it. So can I ask, what is, do you have that thing? Because I think I found, I've struggled with that sometimes. I'm very negative about myself a lot, but... I've I've learned some of the things of what my skill set is. And like this is what I am good at. I am good at this. What's that thing that you that you've negated that imposter syndrome? And like I am good at this. Uh it's always been a process. So there is yeah. there's been a you know, with my acting. I always knew I was good at acting and I'm not saying that with like oh, I'm good. I mean like I think it's just an he acknowledgement that you know, I was I've been a good actor. I've I thought that when I was really young because there was no ego involved. I was just like I'm I'm no I'm good at this. Mm-hmm. And then over time society puts this thing on you where like well you shouldn't be too braggy about it. Um, or yeah. some for some people, some people filter that out and they're like I'm because the best. Because there is a belief though, there is a thing of like you know, the, the the description of, like, the toughest person in the room doesn't go around saying, I'm the toughest person in the room. They just know they're the toughest person. They just know. And they don't have to say it. You know, so that goes to everything else. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Right? And, you know, so there was that, there was a process. I went through that with my acting. Then there was a period where I was very confident in high school and college. And then I got out of college and I started feeling very insecure. And I moved to New York and I thought everybody was better than I was, which wasn't true. But I, mm-hmm. I bought into that. Um, 
And then there came a point in my career as an actor where I understood that I was as good as everybody else. Yeah. Maybe not better, but as good as there's some so it. many in, insanely talented people out there. Yeah. And there's always going to be actors out there. There's always going to be more talented people and less talented people than you yep. are. There's always going to be. You could be an Academy Award winner, and there's still going to be more people that are more talented than you. Always. And there's going to be people that are less. And you could be working literally on the bottom level of what your thought of the bottom level of theater is, and there are mm. going to be people that are worse than you. So yeah. there's... That's a that's a construct you've built for yourself. Yeah. Um, so, okay. So actor, blah, blah, blah. I, I, there was a period where I thought that, then I came to realize, you know what? I, I am good. And I had to self, I, have, I had to un-ego-we accept that about myself and not impo- uh, dis- dispel the imposter syndrome about that. Yeah. Um, but then when I, so the, the film industry side is a fairly new thing for me. I've been, I started dabbling in it about a decade ago and yeah. it started picking up steam about five years ago and it's gotten to be quite a big deal in my life. And it's, it's per, actually the prevailing thing that's happening in my life right now. Is, yeah, that's is, your is film editor now. Editor, producer, yeah. director, all of that stuff. I directed mm-hmm. my first feature, my first film, not feature film. God, I, uh, that's, that's, I'm putting in the universe. I'm going to direct my first feature film. But there we go. I, I uh, <coughs> excuse me, I directed my first film, short film uh, in September. Um, and, you know, there's these moments where you have these imposter syndrome moments, especially when you feel like you don't know what you're doing, mm-hmm. but you actually do, or you're learning. But I can tell you that people out there that have had big successes in their lives, while they're doing it, they don't feel like they know what they're doing. Oh, yeah. They're just faking it. Yeah. And they somehow do it. And it's really just... um it's the confidence and just being like, hey, I you have to have some sort of understanding of like, I am here for a reason. Yeah. And if I put the front up that I know what I'm doing, no one's going to question me. Mm-hmm. So just just try it and go for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you have to like put that on a shelf and be like, no, you are here because you it's this time in your life to do this. Otherwise, yeah. you wouldn't have been, give, you know, blah, blah, blah. You get into the deep spiritual stuff, but it's like, you know, you are at the right place for you at the time you are meant to be at this spot or you wouldn't be here and and that's i think what you have to acknowledge is that um you know okay so i'm i'm a director now i'm a i'm a i'm a director of movies now holy crap i'm i'm a producer if you told me 10 years ago that i'd be a movie producer i'd be like what that's crazy But I'm a movie producer now. I'm producing yeah. a movie. We're in the process of producing a feature film. I have a I have a documentary on HBO. I have uh you know I not that I directed. I mean I had but my film production company has a documentary on HBO. I mean I have, um you know I'm I've acted you, on film. I mean all these you, things. I'm like you ten didn't years. See yourself going that way, but it you, I never it, did. There it is. But that's the way that opened up, and that's the direction. That's the where the energy was taking me. Is this theater industry has been as we talked earlier about massively. Um, if evolving into new things. Mm. And I found that the opportunities for me as a stage actor was not happening the way it used to. Um, and I thought, okay, well, where is the energy taking me? And what- you had made that comment even on the dot um, when you, when I was asking about things to talk about and things on the podcast where you had said the, the likelihood of being an actor full time forever was not as likely. And no, what, what, I don't think what, so. what was that realization for you of like, when did you realize that? Or um, I remember that, that I, process I, it was a that? realization in my mid forties. So about five or six years ago, it wasn't okay. that long ago. Um, 
when I grew up and even into my, even in my twenties and early thirties, there was this still actual, actual reality where actors could have this as a career for the rest of their lives. I know people who are 15 years older than me who have literally had their entire careers as theater actors. I mean, they, they started in their twenties and they're in their sixties or seventies and they've worked their entire lives in the theater and they didn't. I didn't change real. I mean, I have changed a lot, but Mm -hmm. you know, the industry has changed a lot and you know, you have to evolve and, um, you know, the, the reality of being an an actor for your entire career, I think is very slim these days. Yeah. Um, I think that there are some that have Danny Burstein, who is like the God of Broadway. I mean, he's not only the nicest man in the world, but also insanely talented. You know, he is one of those people who got, who lived the, who came to a time where his career is established and he will always go from Broadway show to Broadway show to Broadway show or mm. film and TV. I mean, he's, he's just been an incredible talent actor all his whole life. There are other incredible talented actors who have not had the success that Danny's had yeah. who have us, who are as talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and also have come across at a different time. I mean, I think he came at a cro- he came along at a time where, he got to a certain level of success before that became harder to do. Yeah. And now he is in a place where people see him in a place that he will always be able to work. Well, I just listened to you all do uh, the national anthem. Oh, yeah. Too, is that online? Is fucking, yeah, it was online. I just, yeah, I just we sang national anthem on City Field. Yeah, it was fucking beautiful. Yeah, that I was just, cool. I listened to that one before you got into it. That's crazy. The thing about singing on uh, national anthem, I don't know if you've ever had anybody sing national anthem before. In a, in a on here? No, but, we're but, not that cool on this podcast, Greg. <laughs> but, so, uh, you're the, the big star on this podcast. The thing is, is your, your voice comes back to you about three seconds later. Oh, so it does? So, yeah. Okay. So you sing, oh, say can you, say can you buy the bonds, buy the bonds early. Oh. And you, it, you literally, it's That almost, would throw me the it, off It does. Hard. It does. And you realize you literally have to shut your ears off and just literally listen to yourself because all everything externally is fighting against you. I did not know that. That's it a brilliant is fact. hard. Oh, God. And scary. And oh. I'm like, how do you do it when you're just you? Because it was like me and like eight other guys. Like it was all of us Seabees. We were out there, the the ensemble guys, yeah. the sailor guys from South Pacific. I saw that. I saw you on that YouTube video when I was looking it up. I I, did, I don't know if you remember this. Do you remember the time that you sang for the South Pacific cast for Wesleyan at the rehearsal house? No. I do not know what song you sang. But I remember. I, I could not tell you the song, but I remember the moment. That's how my memory is now. I can remember this, the moment of it. But I remember you, like, you bought us all pizzas. <laughs> and you're like, that's how much pizza costs here in Nebraska? Yeah, I'll buy a bunch of other ones or whatever. <laughs> um, but we were all like having like a, a get together after the show and stuff. And then I don't know who prompted you to sing, but we never we never heard you sing. We've never done it. Like you were a director from you were on Broadway. We wanted to hear you sing, and someone had prompted you to do it. And then I think at some point I had said, like, come on, Greg, like sing sing some to us. I don't know what song you sang, but I remember that whole like, you know, it's filled this house is filled with young college students and it got fucking quiet and listening to you sing and i remember just the beautiful like i remember looking to my friend and going that's what a pro does like i don't (laughs) how the fuck i don't do that like that's insane and i remember hearing you sing for the first time 
And then like, I listened to all these videos uh, before you got here today and how talented you are. I was like, God damn, like he's <laughs> so good. But I just don't know if you remembered that, but I just remember, I, don't, I, vaguely room, I remember. don't remember the song at all, but I just remember being captivated and being like, shit that's what like a professional that's a professional what the fuck are we doing people like we're not, none of you sing like that n- n- never one of, not one of you not i or anybody so uh, you were just always talented as fuck well it's funny because i i i haven't googled myself in a long time we were actually yeah. laughing about this before we started the recording yeah, yeah. about googling <laughs> yourself and i i I know that there are not very many Greg Rodericks out there no, in the world, but the only other one that <laughs> like pings on Google searches is this damn corporate like president. Of, corporate? <laughs> like I think he's from Toronto. He's like some corporate yeah, yeah. president some. out of Toronto, and he's just he's the CEO or whatever. And I'm like, fuck you, dude. But then and, you're right there, right now. You and were, he's currently like higher than I am on the Google searches. But there was a time I was taller than I was higher. Than there was a time when you look up. Greg Roderick, <laughs> I'm the first the fucking first thing that you that go. Up. Okay, so we're gonna do a segment called Rapid Shots. Okay, okay, Rapid Shots. You don't have it. to do shots. Um, someone has, thank every God. Time, every time someone's like, because we're on our last beer and we shouldn't have any more. Do I do like cut off shots? You're never cut off at Dusty's place. First off, it's time for Rapid Shots. Rapid Shots. Greg Roderick, I'm scared now. What is your spirit animal? Fox. Fox? Yeah. Can I ask why, real quick? Uh, smart, quick on their feet. Okay. And stealthy. Okay. What's your lounging around activity? Um, nerdy reading. Nerdy reading. I, I, I'm a nerd for, but I'd say reading. Yeah. Okay. All right. Describe Alan in one word. Um, all heart. That's two words. Hyphenated. <laughs> what is your go-to audition piece? Oh my god! Yikes! That is that also has changed over the years. Okay. Uh, um. Oh my god! There's... I can caveat this if this helps you. Like, what's your favorite show? Too, if that helps the question at all. But all right. Um. That also doesn't help. Okay, well, fuck, fuck myself. Um, um, all right, so I'll, I'll tell you the ones I was auditioning with a lot in the last few years that did well for me. Okay, that's probably better. Okay, because you know your go-to song when you're in your twenties is different than yeah, your yeah, go-to sure, when you're thirties and forties and fifties. Um, the last you don't few, do the same song for like the entire time of your life. You don't. That's not how that works. No, nope. when it oh, starts okay. to not work for you, it's time to change. <laughs> um, I got a lot of work because I'm a I'm a, a tenor, legit tenor. I got a lot good of tenor. I got good a lot tenor people. <laughs> good tenor. Um, I got a lot of work with I'll go home with Bonnie Jean from Brigadoon. Okay. I used to be a roving lad, a roving yes. and wandering life I had. Yes. Um, I used to yes. get a lot of work for that with that song, um, because it goes up to a high A C. I don't know. It goes up high and then it um. <sighs> Beautiful. Oh, I'm home with Bonnie Jean. Irish tenor folks. That's what I am. You can um, sing on this podcast whenever the fuck you want, Greg. <laughs> um, and then as I got older, um, a song that I've gotten really good feedback with is from. Um, it's called the the um, the cuddles Mary gave from a song from no a man from no importance. Okay. Also, somewhat of an Irishy tenor song, um, sung by an older gentleman. Okay. A man of a certain age, um, and <laughs> but it, it's an it's a, it's a, it takes a nice journey in the song, 
And it, okay. it has sort of a beginning, middle, and end that really tells a story. Okay. And um, it allows for some really honest acting. And um, I've had some really good feedback from that. Um, okay. I'd say the song I got the most work from was Bonnie Jean from from Brigadoon. Wow. Um, that's the one I could go in, sing, have people sit up at the table, and get a call back with. Wow. Um, okay. Yeah, but there's been many songs in my book that at some point or another, you you know, it's that panic moment where you're told you have this amount of bars to sing and you like rifle through your audition book to find the right song. Yeah, yeah. Go um, through it. Yeah. Okay, that's great. All right. What is, this? I ask this one every time, what was your first impression of Dusty? Well, I think I told you, like the, like the super charismatic, fun kid who had a... Uh, uh, possibly not working car. Um, <laughs> um, very humble. I remember you being like imposter syndrome about yourself. Uh-huh. I remember realizing that you had a lot more going for you than you thought you did. Yeah. Makes awesome um, sense. You know, I, I, I remember just meeting you and thinking, this is this great guy who has charisma off the charts, who knows what he's doing and doesn't realize he does or apologizes for it. Yes. I say sorry way too fucking much. Yeah. Really and you bad. shouldn't. Don't say you're sorry. I try. I try. It, really it, it, anybody that's apologizes apologizes for themselves, unless you truly make a mistake, don't apologize. Yeah. Because you're just making people see you in a different way, in a, in a less positive light yes. by apologizing. Don't apologize for yourself. People don't apologize okay, for yourself yeah. unless you actually make don't a really mistake sorry or, ap- or okay. offend somebody or do something really wrong. But don't apologize for who you are. No. Okay. There we go. Don't say sorry, people. What's your favorite Disney movie? Oh, that's a good one. I know. It's a good one. Because I also have a lot of favorites. Oh, okay. This is... If you need to name a couple, that's okay. Oh... All right, so this is a little off the wall on this one. Okay. I'm, I'm positive I'm already missing some. I'm going to name two. I, okay, I cannot wait because I have I have a guess, but I don't know if it'll be right, but I have one in my head. Okay. I'm 95% sure that the guesses you're going to make are going to be wrong. It probably. Yeah. Okay. But you'll probably, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be interested to see if you're like, that's what you guessed, but. Okay, there's one because I think the, 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 the story the the message that is being told is so amazing and then the second one is because i think it's just one of the best musically theater told animated series animated if i'm Um, right okay so uh, that was very cryptic i'm sorry i'm sorry america that's okay um so the first one i'm gonna say is i think that the one that is the most musically theater ready for stage that's barely been done. I love the music. I love the storytelling is the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Oh my God, Greg. I, that is the one I was fucking going to you say. You are? I shit you not. <laughs> what? I shit you not. I'm yeah. about to lose my fucking mind. I was sitting here going. So you I'm know me better sure than the Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. How dare you, one, think I don't. And two, I was literally sitting there like, it's going to be Hunchback. I think it's Hunchback. I think it's Hunchback. For everything you just said. Oh, yeah. Because of how musically great that show is. It is. And how it's not, it has not been done in the States. Not really. And how it should be. Yeah. Oh, my God. This blew my mind. I'm 
Yeah. How dare you think I don't know you better than... How dare you? Oh, my you God. You really do. You really do. Okay, so... I was literally like, that's 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 got to be it. It's got to be Hunchback. It is. Oh, my it God. Is. It's such good storytelling. And the animation is so good. And it's completely underappreciated. Yes. I don't understand why scary it's not... Scary at a, first. Like, I remember being scary. younger being, like, scared of it. It's a little scary. It's like, God damn. The, the singing is beautiful. Oh, it's so the good. animation is beautiful. It's one of the first times that they integrated sort of a three-dimensional look. If you look at that opening number, the, the bells of Notre Dame, um, that the confetti is very three-dimensional. Mm. And now it seems like, oh, yeah, whatever. That was... Yeah. But, no, but, but back then, back it was... Then, that, yeah, it was... That was magical. That was the first time you'd seen that. Yes. Um, the oh, only time God. they had done that prior to that was the Beauty and the Beast ballroom scene where the camera sort of swirls around the mm. two dancers. Yeah. Other than that, the only other time you saw was was the Bells of Notre Dame, that that uh, that scene. Oh but um, oh yeah, I just think it's such it's underappreciated. It's yeah. such a beautiful piece. The storytelling is great. The characters are great. The songs are great. Yeah. It's just a great piece, and I love it. So it's that's that's one of the two. The oh, other sorry. one I'm going to say, and you're probably like, yeah, I knew you were going to say this. Um, is Wally? No. No, I've actually never seen Wally. To be honest with you, Wally. I've is heard so much about Wally. But really I've never good. Seen it. It's very cerebral. It has a lot to say about um, society and the way that we think and the way that we could be headed. Unfortunately, what's your favorite type of music to listen to? Just hanging out. Um, I honestly, being a kid of the eighty, a teenager of the eighties, it's the eighties stuff. It's eighties stuff. Yeah. Okay. Have you done Spotify Wrapped? No. You have Spotify? What's that? Okay, you need to get Spotify so that, because like every year they do a Spotify rap and it shows you how many songs you listen to, who's your favorite artist, what's your type of music, what song you listen to the most, all that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, that's fun. It's fucking, in, it's awesome. I love it so You know much. what? I, I listen, speaking of, we're on one right now. I listen to so many podcasts that I've not- You jo- do listen to a lot of podcasts? Oh, constantly. Yeah? I don't listen to that. As, what's your I used podcast? to be a big music listener when I was in a car all the time, but I- I listen to podcasts a lot, so I don't listen to as much music oh, as I used okay, to. Really? So I have never subscribed to to Spotify because I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts. But Spotify has a lot of podcasts. I know, but you can also get Drinks free. Drinks does on Spotify. But you can also get like free podcast apps that don't cost money. Truth. That is truth. <laughs> that is truth. We're on all the podcast apps. That's right. Um. Okay. Who was your first ever crush? Celebrity Ooh. crush or like whatever. Wow. Um. First, that's a hard one. I can. Or tell do you, you have one that was at least like the major one that you could think of? Because first is a hard one, but first is a hard one. You know, I was attracted to the six million dollar man, or whatever. You know, oh, or uh, yes. Magnum PI. Yes. Those are the characters I was like on TV. I was like, well, that's who I think is sexy. Ooh. And I was too young to even know what sexy was. What, but, what, what even meant? Um, why did we go down this track? I don't even know what we were it was. Talking it about. was a, it was a rapid shot question. It was about your first crush. About first crush. Um, all right, yes. Last, all right. last rapid shot question. What's one of the best advice you've ever gotten that you still hold on to? Well, several beers in, it's hard to pull those memories, but I would say um, one of the best advices I got was I went, I go back to that, that professor, Ken Skershes was his name, Skershes. He was, uh, it's a hard name to pronounce, but dance teacher of mine, who was the one that said that New York isn't full of theater gods. They're just people, regular people mm-hmm. who moved to New York, just like you. Wow. And it, it kind of put in my head that, okay, this small town boy isn't an imposter. He is just like anybody else and can go accomplish anything else that they want. 
and that you, anyone else can do. Now I'm getting really cheesy, but like you know, Not you cheesy. really can accomplish anything. Nobody's holding you back except for yourself. And yes, you're going to have the people who don't quote allow you to do things, mm-hmm. but that's only because you allow them to not allow you to do things. Wow. Wow. That's big. Um, Thank you for that. Thank you for coming on. Yeah. You have been a mentor of mine for years. The fact that you have spent the time to come here and be on this podcast means it will mean more to me than you think you even know or understand. Um, You're my hero, my mentor, someone I look up to. Everything you have accomplished is something I want to accomplish and I live in my life for trying to make you proud half the time. You and do. I appreciate your friendship, your love, and thank you for coming on. Um, it means it, it, I'm laughing because I'm weird and it means the world to me that you spent your time and your energy to be on this stupid ass fucking show that I do. And I am lucky enough to have a friendship like yours that you will do that for me. So thank you. Well, thank it was you. my great pleasure. I had a ball. Um, you know, you and I can hang out in a bar and chat away like this, just like this. <laughs> Y'all are getting an insight into what it's like when <laughs> we're just like sitting at a bar talking. Out. That's yep. basically what it is. Um, but thank you. Yeah, I had a great time. Now, uh, is there anything you uh, want to promote while you're on the show that you can say? Uh, well, um, our we have a, I have a short film that's going out. It's going to hit the, the film, for, film festival circuit called The World is Lit by Lightning. Um, there's no place you can watch it right now, so don't even worry about that. But um, <laughs> it's going to hit the film festival circuit. That's what's going on for me right now. Um, other than that, yeah. If you need any editing jobs or any, if you want to make a sh- if you want to make a film, call me up with some money, and we'll make a <laughs> film for you with money. People with money. don't bother him if you don't. We, have don't, money, okay? we don't. We don't. We don't pay for the film to be made, okay. but uh, if you want to make a film, come with us at Money and we'll make yeah, it. Right. Um, that's about, that's where we're at right now. You're the best. Greg Roderick. Love you, Dustin. Legend. Love you. And <laughs> I'm just shocked that, you have you on, that you're on here. I have no idea what's you happening, know, people. First of 2023. Boom. First, first episode of the fucking year. Drinks on Dusty back. Like, subscribe, share. Boom. Uh, drinks on Dusty. Bye. We out. Do, 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 do. Is that the is that the theme song? <laughs>